Walsh from 27 yards left hash. Snap good, spot down. Walsh's kick is up, and it is no good. He missed it. Are you kidding me? The season can't end like that. He missed it left. And the Seattle Seahawks are off to Charlotte. Blair Walsh missed a 27-yard field goal, and the Minnesota Vikings are going to lose 10-9. Don, do you remember a year, I believe they called it 2011. Okay. You remember, recall that. I remember that year. On January mm-hmm. 12th of said year, we okay. debuted. You know what? I did see that in my time hop today. It was the day after the Oregon-Auburn national title game, won by Auburn, 22-19. You remember the star of said game? No, I will when you tell me, though. Running Cam back? Newton. Oh, quarterback, yep, Cam Newton. And here we are today, the day after a national title game, in a year they tell me they're calling, 2016. That's right. For the premiere of season six of one of the most famous podcasts on the internet, <laughs> the Sportscasters. Yeah, if you say one of, you can say that. Yeah. I'm not saying how many there are. Right. Oh, well, one of the favorites, though. There's a lot of them. Not even saying of who. Speaking of that, I'm going to throw us under the bus probably here. Yeah. Did uh, R.D. write his he best did, of the year? And column? there was no podcast award for anybody. No. So yeah. we're sort of like Pearl Jam's versus. Yeah, we'll always be. We'll always be one of the only winners. That's right. He changed the column around a bit this year, and it did not include. The really the only individual awards it had was uh, like sports person, media person of the year. Oh, okay. Maybe I did see it then. Maybe I thought there'd be a second part. Yeah, with, no. With the little guys, guess not. Yeah. So luckily we didn't have to not repeat. Yeah, we don't have that. That, that was just off the shame. table. Yeah. Uh, but I would have argued to Richard that this season five was much better than season four. Sure. Um. So if we wouldn't have gotten the nod, I wouldn't have taken it. Too personally, because I do think that we did better work in season five, and I hope that we can do better work in season six, and we're going to try to get that started today. It is season six, episode one. It's January 13th, 2006. We're recording on the 12th, but we'll probably put it up on Wednesday. Today, we have S.L. Price, still one of the more talented, uh, acclaimed uh, writers that's ever been on the show. He's making his seventh appearance. He wrote the Sportsman of the Year column, and we've oh, been okay. making it a bit of a tradition uh, to have the first guest of the first season to be the person who wrote the SI Sportsman, or sports person they call it now, believe it or not. Was it the horse? I know you were pushing hard no, for the horse. No, it was Serena Williams. Okay. Somehow you don't know that. Uh, it was it was a big thing. Uh, Serena Williams uh, is the winner, and that's probably why SL wrote it. I think if it was the horse, probably would have been Layden. Okay. Uh, but SL Price will be on to talk with us about that. Okay. And have you recorded that yet? Yeah. I have a question that might bury the lead a little bit, but we've had somebody else on this year. Maybe it, I don't think it was SL Price or this past season. That argued there was a male tennis player that had arguably yeah, I think it was a better season 
It was Deitch or Wertheim. Then Serena. Yeah. Does, and we you, talk about you that. You do talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Good, good. That's a tease then. Tease yeah, on. we do talk about why Serena was the right choice, despite the fact that Djokovic really? had a better season. Hmm. Okay. So we'll get to that later. Also, a debut. A first-timer, Chris Trapasso, who Don said, well, who's Chris Trapasso? And he is the editor, or one of the editors, they have many, of the front page of NFL.com. He's also a staff writer at Comeback Sports. Remember, late in the season last year, we had Matt Yoder and Dan Levy on the podcast to talk about this new startup, Comeback Sports. And uh, Chris is a writer there. And we talk with Chris about what it means to be an editor of the front page of a website like NFL.com. I was really curious. Like, We used a few story examples. Like when the news breaks that Sean Payton is staying in for the Saints, what does that mean for your job? You know, Right. And we get some answers there, and we'll talk about – Yeah, interesting uh, they have a guy like that that everyone that's listening right now has seen his work, whether or not they know it. And on Comeback Sports, he writes about football, so of course we'll talk about – the NFL playoffs with him again, or as well. So I thought that would be uh, an interesting spot to get the season started. Uh, book club, we'll do a book club. We don't have a book yet, uh, but I do have a really funny story for the book club update, and uh, we'll finish it with one last thing. So for the first time in season six, it's three things. Let's play a game, all right? Count of three, one. All righty, I'll kick it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, so we're going to start with said national championship game. Alabama wins their fourth national championship under Nick Saban. Their fourth since 2009. Yeah, that's incredible. His fifth. He's one behind Bear Bryant, who won six. Uh, really very impressive. And I have to ask, as I always do, did Don, like sports, watch the <laughs> national championship? You know what? I, w- I watched the middle of it. Like, I caught the middle of it. That's the best part, the middle. There's no reason why I didn't. I know, right? There's no reason why I didn't stick with it. I don't I don't have a good answer for why I didn't stick with it, but I, I saw the middle of it. Certainly wasn't the quality. I mean, no. it was a fantastic yeah, it was game. Good. Um, really interesting. Derrick Henry, the Heisman Trophy winner, got the scoring started with a 50-yard TD. Uh, and then Deshaun Watson, the uh, third-place winner in the Heisman, scored the next two touchdowns, and then Henry equaled them. So by uh, you know four minutes into the second quarter, the first and third place in the Heisman had four touchdowns, and we were off. Uh, and it was a really good game. Uh O.J. Howard is a name to remember, Don. Okay. Especially if you have a team that might need a tight end, and you might have one of those teams. Sure. O.J. Howard was a five-star recruit that went to Alabama and basically never played for some reason. Hmm. He's 6'5", he's 245, and he runs a 4'5", 40. <laughs> um, and for some reason, and Saban said the reason was bad coaching last night. Okay. Uh, this guy never played at Alabama, but, man, did he play last night. He had a 53-yard touchdown. He had a 51-yard touchdown. And he had another long play that set up the final Derrick Henry touchdown. Henry had a hat trick. Uh, he had a long play 
to set up that touchdown that basically sealed the game. Wow, you aren't kidding. He's a junior, and his yardage total from last night almost matched his total for yeah, each he of his first two seasons. Five catches for 208 yards. In this season, he had 602 yards total. Right, he, I don't think he scored a touchdown since 2013. So, okay, you know what? They probably lumped that into this this season. His stats are probably they from are. that game are lumped in. They are. Wow. So he he increased his total by 50 percent last night. Um, and he's one of the rare guys. He's not totally rare, but he's one of those guys that's going to be a better NFL player than he was college. I'd assume he's going to come out. I was going to say. There's no real reason for him to stay there. Alabama. There's no reason for him to gain from no. playing, no. So I think he would come out, and I think he – it's just the way the NFL is played now and how Especially important tight, tight ends end. can be. Yeah. I mean, and when players play basketball and then go to the NFL. And this is a guy who's 6'5", you know, and 245 pounds, yeah. and he runs. And he was the breakout star of the game last night. And the breakout moment um, was an onside kick. That Nick Saban uh, called and the Alabama players executed flawlessly. It was not like a Saints one where they kicked it across the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, it was one where they bounced the ball high and the guy ran over under it and caught it. Okay. About 15 yards down. It was a thing of beauty. I mean, it gained Alabama an extra possession when they really needed it. 40 Uh, points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, also... um, Auburn kicked a somewhat inconsequential field goal to make it 31-27 Alabama. Cut Clemson. The- Clemson. You said Auburn. Oh, I don't know why I'm saying Auburn. Clemson kicked a field goal. You're back in 2011. I am. I'm back in the year of 2011. <laughs> That's what they call it. Yep. Uh, so Clemson is down seven. They're in the red zone. They can't punch it in. They kick a field goal. They close the gap. And bam, Kenyon Drake, who's another player who's battled injuries. Now, injuries weren't O.J. Howard's problem. It was just getting on the field. Right. Uh, Kenyon Drake battled injuries, and he busted off a 95-yard TD run. So, in a year where every bowl game seemed to suck, <laughs> both of the playoff games were blowouts, and the ratings for those were so bad that ESPN owes $21 million to sponsors – because they failed to hit the ratings guarantee for the ad money. Well, we said that. Yeah, a disaster. I mean, they and were it was, protecting And the it was worse than we thought it would Rose Bowl, be. Rose Bowl, right? Was, yep. Yeah. Yep. And we it was worse that. than we thought it would be. And Richard Deitch has, has uh, wrote about it as well as others. Big disaster. They got a great game last night. Yeah. So they get, despite all that, college football always seems to come out on top. And they had a great game last <laughs> night. And Alabama, the champions again. And in case you're sick of them, Don, I can tell you that Stuart Mandel, our friend, mm-hmm. last night wrote the first top 25 for oh, great. next season. <laughs> and I wonder where you think Alabama might be ranked headed into that last year. And I'll give you a hint. It's not one. Well, let's see. Henry's coming out. We said OJ Howard's coming out. So they're losing two big pieces. I don't know. Third? Third. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Clemson is his one. Florida State is his two. So two ACC schools. Alabama three. Jim Harbaugh and Michigan four. Uh, LSU five with Fournette coming back. And mm. Oklahoma six with Blake Mayfield coming back. 
So that is the way too early top 25. And yeah. interesting note about Oklahoma. They start the season against Houston, uh, who won the Peach Bowl, okay. finished a 13-1 season. Uh, Stuart Mandel has them 10th. Wow. Two weeks later, they host Ohio State, uh, who Stewart has 14th. Wow. So if Oklahoma yeah, is going to make the playoffs next year, they're going to earn their way. Sure. Um, no Patsies on that schedule, which is what the Pac, or excuse me, the Big 12 has to do when they don't have a championship game. You got to get those big non-conference wins. So that's that. Second thing. Is Alabama hated? Oh, uh, sure. It's yeah. like the Yankees kind of at this yeah, point a little bit. Plenty of people hate them. Sure. Saban's okay. hateable. Wow, He's right. got that face you just want to smack. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I would I would say so. The NFL, they're having playoffs as well, Don. Yeah, not nearly as good. Well, yeah, I well, guess if you compare the playoffs to the playoffs. We knew with some of the teams that made it, it wasn't necessarily going to be a first round for the ages. Right. I mean, just if you think about the losing quarterbacks, okay, the four quarterbacks who lost this week <laughs> right. were Hoyer, McCarron, the winner of two of those Alabama national championships. And he really, I mean, in fairness to him, he should have won probably. And he played all right. Yeah, he was all right. Teddy Bridgewater and Kirk Cousins. Those were the four losing quarterbacks. The four winning quarterbacks were first overall pick Alex Smith, who's won big playoff games before. Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger. Aaron Russell Rodgers. Wilson yeah. and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So it would seem like it'd be easy to say, well, then this week, just pick the better quarterback. Yeah. So I ask you, Don, who is the better quarterback in Seattle and Carolina? Is it Cam Newton or is it Russell Wilson? Ooh. Who is the better quarterback or the healthier quarterback in Pittsburgh and Denver? Is it Ben Roethlisberger or Peyton is it Manning. Peyton Manning? And will Ben Roethlisberger be there? And if not, will they go with Landry Jones or will they resurrect Mike Vick? What do you do there? <laughs> uh, we all know Tom Brady. Yeah, that, that but, game. I mean, we don't go backwards a lot on this because we know by the time this comes out, people, people have heard on. Yeah, that game sucked. I mean, it not as far as entertainment value. But it was a circus. It's a circus, yeah. and it's one of those games that whoever comes out of it. I mean, the best player got cheap shotted. Might not play. To sleep. Right. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be. Limping around the field. They just beat the hell out of each other. And uh, now they get the... Uh, rested Broncos. Yeah, the rested, best defense in Fierce the league. Fierce defense. Yeah. Broncos. So good luck with that. I mean, I'm actually pulling for the Broncos. I'm not a Peyton Manning like lover necessarily, but I'm far from a hater. I think he gets way too much hate. And I think this would be a really cool way for him to... I mean, if he could pull this off after the terrible season he had and come out and maybe do it with brains and not try to throw it all over the field, something. Like, if he can, it'd be a really cool story. So I'm pulling for them in the AFC. I'm sure you're not pulling for the Patriots, but it does seem like they're getting healthy. It sounds like Edelman's going to play. Yeah. It sounds like Hightower's going to play. It sounds like they're going to get reinforcements on the offensive line. Um, yeah, that game is strength versus strength. I mean, And the Chiefs are 111 in a row, so there's certainly a challenge. Yeah, and the Chiefs' no defense has been awesome yeah. in, during that streak. So if... Brady can beat up the Chiefs' defense. That's been really their strength, and I don't think the Chiefs have much of a chance. But I think the key is going to be Adelman and Amendola playing the whole game, staying outside so yeah. that Gronk can work the seam and work the middle of the field and be Gronk. So we'll see about that. That'll be good. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend at work today, and I, I said to him, I think the Patriots look more beatable than they ever have like during this 
dynasty or whatever. But that said, they never lose in the playoffs. And you wouldn't have said that when they were ten and zero. No, no, not at all. And but that's easy to say when they're six. two and four. Sure, but right. in that two and four stretch, there was no Amendola, there right. was no yeah. Edelman, there was no Hightower. Yep. So now all these guys are back to some sure. degree. Sure, Deion Lewis won't be there. Um, you know, Blunt isn't going to be there. That is barely matter though. That, the, but it doesn't seem what's to matter. His, uh, yeah. What's the running back? The rookie kid, White. Something White, like that. Yep, James I mean, White. He's taken over the Deion Lewis role. He'll have one carry for five yards, but actually, the nephew of Walter White. It's a little known thing. <laughs> uh, the Packers showed a little bit of life. I still kind of really like the Cardinals in that game. Yeah, I do too. And we talked a little bit about Seattle. That's sad, Carolina. So it's a great weekend. We've we've talked about how divisions are one thing. You can't. We try not to get too up in arms about a bad team making the playoffs. But, boy, I mean, they won that division and had the honor of playing the Seahawks. You know what I mean? That last game of the season right. determined who got to play the Seahawks. And, and in fairness, they had them beat. Right. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> they had him beat. They had him dead to rights. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't Set up complain about anything that happened in a twenty-seven-yard field goal. I I hate the Seahawks. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because like last year against Green Bay, they needed nineteen things to go right, and they got all row, nineteen. And they got them all, yeah. and then and against then that, and down nine nothing in the freezing cold in Minnesota, they needed about four or five things to happen, and all and five did. did. Yeah. Oh, last thing, uh, Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin scored his. 500th goal over the weekend, and his 500th and first. He's awesome. Another guy I pull for because he gets way too much hate. I have some stats about it that might interest you. Okay. He's the 43rd player uh, to get it. The third active player. You know the other two? They're very obvious. Uh, Yager? Yep. How and another guy who just got his 600th goal last week. Oh, again, Law. Yep. Uh, and he's the first Russian-born player, thanks to Bray's injuries. Yeah. Um. The 500th time with Lanny McDonald for 42nd in NFL history, or NHL Actually, history, yeah. and of course he passed him. And he's 26 goals are one better than Kane and Ben for the NHL lead. Uh, this is from the Sports Borough of Elias. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They note that he's the fifth quickest to reach 500 goals. Uh, it was 801 career games, and he's behind. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, and Brett Hall. Um, he began his career in the 2005-2006 season. Um, the next most goals since that season are 351 for Jerome McGinley. Yeah, it's not close. So that's over 100, about 150 more. Uh, he ranks third in goals per game at .625. Yeah, if you uh, throw out two that, guys that play, he's like sixth or something or fifth, but it's. Those guys have under 200 goals or something like that. Well, with at least 250 career right. goals. Yeah, there's two guys from like the 1918. He's third behind Bossy and Lemieux. Um, he's a hair ahead of Burray at .623, and I'll talk about that in a second. Yep. And a little bit ahead of Gretzky at .601. And lastly, Ovechkin um, has scored the goalie that Ovechkin has scored most against. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah. 20 goals is the king. Henrik Lundqvist. So part of that is being in the same division. Sure. Uh, also, this is one that I dug up. 16 goals have come in 4-4 four and four or 3-on-3, three three, uh, which is a nice number to have. Now, you and I had a debate or whatever on Facebook about mm-hmm. who's a better goal scorer, Beret or Ovechkin. And we both threw out a bunch of different things about why 
it was one or the other. And I think the conclusion I came to is that there's really no winning argument. Well, sure. that I don't right. know if there's ever been two guys more closely. Like, no, and, and let it's me, funny. Like as we look yeah, them up, yeah. And let's give some uh, examples. I mentioned the point six two five to point six two three goals per game. Right. Bure played seven hundred and three NHL games. Through seven hundred and three NHL games for so Ovechkin, like goals. Bure had three goals more. Right. Uh, just the mirroring of the careers of these two goal scorers. Who, by the way, if you ask Ovechkin, who his favorite player was growing up in Russia. Who his hero was? It's Pavel Bure. I also saw an interview with Bure who said that Ovechkin's the best goal scorer. He, I think he was talking about now. My guess, my guess too is if you said to Ovechkin, "Who's the best goal scorer of all time?" He'd probably he'd say, say Bure. Bure, and sure. if you asked Bure, he'd say Ovechkin. I think from a pure, pure. I know it's a weird argument to ever compare guys from different eras, but I think from a pure goal scoring perspective, I think you can only make the argument for three guys. I think it's Ovechkin, Bure, and Lemieux. I right. mean, Gretzky's the best ever, as far as I'm concerned, as a hockey player. Another guy you have to consider is Bossy, though. You have to consider Bossy, Bossy though, a little bit. It's such a hard with era. He, he played his entire career with the goalies in with the no sweetest stuff, era right. for forwards. Yep. So, and we kind of talked about what with the outlier seasons. The only ones I think you need to throw away are like the '92 and the, you know those types of seasons. Yeah, they're Bure and Ovechkin. They don't have any seasons like that. The, Neither of them scored past sixty. Right. I think Bure's highest is 63, and Ovechkin's is 68 or something like that. Again, really close. Um, another thing I wanted to mention about those two guys. Uh, Bure had a season. This is crazy. It's a 2000-2001 season in Florida. Bure scored 59 goals. Second place on his team was 14. <laughs> he also led the team in assists with 33. Wow, and had ninety two points in the two hundred goals. Bray was that a winger. Florida right? scored. He was a winger. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So look, I don't think I won the argument. I don't think I lost it. And I'd say the same thing for you. Right. I think the more we typed, the more we said, the more we proved there really isn't a right answer. Yeah, and the more you, look, the more I thought I would find something that was like the dead puck era that is now. Burray had like five seasons, and I don't remember his numbers from those seasons, that were much higher league-wide average than Ovechkin. But if you average them out over their entire it's careers, the same, yeah. it's it's closer than you'd think as and, far as goals league-wide right. go. And, uh, yeah, it's unbelievably close. It's a, it's, an, it's a crazy thing to compare. If you, have, if you have the reason or the feeling to compare two guys – just go through their careers and compare them. It's unbelievable. Yeah. What it came down to for me, the most impressive stats, the one you mentioned earlier, is that the next closest guy is 150 behind, like over right. the same speed. Yeah. I'd love to hear. I mean, I'm sure. That is an incredible stat. Uh, but, yeah, it's hard to compare guys from different areas. I've always heard Jill Perot would have been one of the would have been, Another be five, talked about, 500 goals. He'd score. be talked about yeah. as one of the greatest ever, but he played in one of the early dead puck eras. Right. Yeah, so uh, – Congrats to OV. Yeah, I'd like to see his team. I mean, they're, they're really good. This yeah, prime like for a run. I love to see him win a cup. Goalie looks good. I have no no uh, no problem with Ovechkin at all. I love to see him. You know what I love about him? He loves playing hockey. Yes. He has a ton of fun yes. out there. And the only I don't know what's hateable He gets a lot that. of hate from old guys that want to label Russians bad at defense or yeah. lazy or selfish or whatever. I mean, sure, Dumb. the guy shoots 10 times a game, but scores goals. I mean... He does what his team needs him to do, too. Yeah. His team needs him to shoot 10 times a game. They want him to. Yep. All right. 
then we will start the interview portion of the sixth season <laughs> of the podcast yeah, in the year they call 2016. So we'll take a break and we will come back with SL Price. Our next guest is from Stanford, Connecticut, and is a graduate of the University of North Carolina. He is a senior writer at Sports Illustrated. He started in 1994. He's received many honors for his work, including two Associated Press Sports Editors Awards. And he's making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the first guest of season six. S.L. Price. How are you doing today, Mr. Price? Good, but I've noticed that, that your marching band sounds like they're hopped up on speed. Like, is that at, like, 78 RPM? Like, like, like they, the, the music sounds... It sounds like they're com- going completely insane. Really? Yeah. Huh. No, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm right. just, just an observation. Yeah, I it don't know... It sounds like they're, like, you know, partying on a bus you know, for like 26 hours and then marched out on the field. And Well, they are college kids. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what goes on with the University of North Carolina marching band, but I thought they is played. That what that is? Is that's a UNC marching band? No, I'm not sure. It's, you know, oh, just right. a, uh, you know, a clip of the North Carolina fight song. So I don't know if that was played by the band or. Oh, I thought that was your standard opening song for every broadcast. No, realize. that'd be horrible. No, I, I bring in people to their fight songs whenever we can. Ah, I did they, not realize. Yeah, so a lot of people, well, some people, they really like it. Other people, they, you know, are I different. Like it. I like it. It's, 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 uh, it's full of energy. Occasionally, you'll get a person who's somewhat bitter with their college for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And they'll be like, can we do something else? You know. So. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But I don't know. Thank you for doing this today. Your first guest of season six. Sure. We've made it to six to seasons. Be, Amazing. Yeah, happy to be doing it. The first, happy to be asked. The first episode was recorded after the Cam Newton National Championship game. Mm-hmm. So, And we're talking the night after the Alabama and uh, Clemson game. What did you think of the game last night? You watched? I thought it was, I thought it was like... I thought it was like watching a circus, and there was just this one massive, surprising, big play after another. It was, it was, um, it was, it was fantastically fun to watch. Yeah, it really was. Especially, I mean, I mean, as someone who doesn't have a rooting interest, you know, it's a strict spectacle. It was, you know, it's just fantastic. Yeah, and you know, what was interesting to me is the semis are so terrible, both of them. Not that I got to see much because they made the inexplicable decision to air them on New Year's Eve, but those games were so disappointing, as were many of the Bulls over the course of the Bull season, and um, I guess it was one of those cases of saving the best for last, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, like you, just a, just a non, non-involved non spectator, just kind of watching for the fun of watching the game, and I really enjoyed well, it as let, well. Let, let, let's put it this way. Also, I mean, my favorite line in a movie over the last 10 years was in Silver Linings Playbook when 
the psychologist suddenly out of nowhere says Deshaun Jackson is the man. <laughs> and, uh, uh, which, which sort of at that moment, Silver Linings playbook had me for the rest of the rest of the movie. Cause I, I thought it was such a brilliant delivery and sort of conception. And, uh, and, uh, all I can think of last night is Deshaun Watson is the man. And so it just sort of went through my head like 17 different times because I, I was incredibly impressed by it. Yeah, he had a, as everybody has been all all season, but he he was just he was just so much fun to watch. He had a sick game, and everyone on Twitter was comparing him to Vince Young all night, and uh, which of course isn't fair. Um, but we do that to everyone; we compare him to this guy or that guy. But uh, the uh, tight end for Alabama—I mean, this is just why they win four national championships in seven years, right? Is this is a guy they essentially haven't used all year? And he's a six-five tight end who runs a four-five, and he basically is the difference in the game, and will probably be drafted higher than Derrick Henry. Yeah, you know, so it's like it's hard to compete with a team that has a guy you haven't seen all season uh, that will be a, a pick in the NFL draft higher than the Heisman Trophy winner on that team. Uh, that makes them very difficult to beat. But I thought it was a great game, and I love Dabo Sweeney. Uh, I was disappointed for him, but I think uh, like he, I think he said something like, you know, it won't be 35 years till the next one. And I, I kind of agree with him. I think he's got something really nice going there, Clemson. So, well, the, the foundation is surely there. There's no question. Yeah, and you mentioned Deshaun Jackson, who made one of the bonehead plays of the weekend, not not getting the ball in the end zone for whatever reason for Washington. Did you watch any of the NFL games this weekend? I did, and I saw, and I saw that play, and it was weird because, you know, I'm not normally that sharp. Uh, but when he quote unquote scored, I, I, I thought, oh, wow, I, I didn't think he scored. I didn't think the ball crossed. And I, you know, then I walked away from the TV and didn't realize, you know, until later that, that, that it actually had been, had, had been overturned because I, you know, I just, I just assumed that he had, you know, that the, that I had gotten something wrong. <laughs> you know, as so, a- uh, I was, I was sort of stunned by the fact that I was right for once. Let me ask you this as a fan, as a spectator watching these games. I am increasingly frustrated, especially when I'm watching my team play, about when you see a play like that, you can kind of never anymore celebrate. Because the first thing you, when the ref raises his arms to signal a touchdown, the first thing I always think is, well, is it? You know, or when you make a stop on fourth down, the first thing I think is, well, did we stop them? Because now every right. play is scrutinized. And it, and I, I mean, want, which, which happened last night in the game also with Clemson. They thought they had a right. stop on, on, on the touchdown. And, right. You know, it took like a micro camera that, you know, sort of snuck up there like some sort of weird colonoscopy of, of goal line uh, uh, intrusion and uh, and figured out that, no, indeed, that the, the, the ball had cross the plane. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's sort of, you know, careful what you wish for. You know, technology is the greatest, and it gives us, you know, you know, the pylon cam. You know, it's really fun. But uh, that means that every single thing is going to be picked apart by cameras more and more in technology, and, and this is sort of the downside of it. It t- does take the sort of human, you know, element out. You know, so it's like, you know, the only, the only time you can be sure of something is when, you know, the Vikings kicker shanks it wide left, and you Nobody thought that was coming, and you can scream instantly. Right. <laughs> that, that's indisputable. And we Everything saw many videos is... of people screaming instantly uh, right. as well for that. 
don't know if you've seen everything, some of those. Everything, everything else is disputable, you know, at this point. Right. Uh, I When we started Season 5 last year, Tom Verducci was on uh, to talk about Madison Bumgarner uh, and him winning the uh, – the at the time sportsman of the year uh, mm-hmm. for, for SI. And this year, of course, you wrote the piece on Serena Williams, who wrote the, uh, or who won uh, the sports person of the year. Um, right. And it was interesting. Not the sports mammal. Not the sports mammal, no. And right, I want to talk is, about know, that a little bit. Yeah. Become... Yeah. It's interesting because. Uh, building up to the building up to the the naming of the award, a few different times on the show, we discussed with different people. I think Richard Deitch was one, um, and uh, someone else. Uh, we talked about who might might get this thing this year, and for whatever reason, um, as far as awards go, I, I'm interested in this one. I don't know. I think what I like the most about this award is whoever wins it, you get to really this really awesome piece of writing about them after in the magazine and that's just really cool you know it's not like when derrick henry wins the heisman uh i get this thing in the mail written by this like unbelievable sports writer about why and how or whatever uh so i think that's unique about the award and what i like about it and the horse people were just out of their minds i mean they were just they were not happy that the horse didn't win and I don't know if he should have won or not. Here was my first thought, and, and I want you to, because you're a tennis guy too. The one thing I thought maybe was against Serena was that you could argue pretty pretty easily that she didn't have the best season in her sport. Um, that, you know, Djokovic clearly was the best tennis player in the world this year. Well, look, here, here, let me, let me, let me. Yeah, let me, go in. A couple, a couple things. Okay, one go is, for it. Guess what? The award is whatever SI decides it is. Sometimes it's a career achievement, mm-hmm. like Dean Smith. Sometimes it's a six-week achievement, you know, or four-week, or or three-week, like Madison Bumgarner. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's it's an eight-week or seven-week achievement, like Dwayne Wade. And by the way, the tennis fans, the, the horse racing fans, are the exact same group that uh, the tennis fans were when Dwayne Wade won over Roger Federer. They were outraged, and I wrote the Dwayne Wade story. And people were just outraged. And by the way, I find it interesting that, I don't know what it means, but no one seemed to have a problem with Bumgarner winning it on a short, sort of small sample size. I mean, obviously, he's a great pitcher, a great pitcher the whole year, but it was definitely based on the postseason run. And that's exactly what Dwayne Wade won for when Miami won their first title and people were outraged. Um, SI just, you know, it, it just... Depends. Sometimes, sometimes it's um, it's uh, you know who does the most good works over the year. That's we've, we've given out awards based on that. You know the the sports. So the so the sports quote unquote person, man, woman of the year is is this fungible, strange award that is not just achievement, but on the manner quote unquote of the achieving, and. So that, that, that leaves an entire gray area open. And I would argue with you, there's no question Djokovic had a better year than Serena. Right. He played the last three months of the year. He got to the final of all four slams. She got to the semis only of the, of, of the, the one slam she lost. Um, but it was also a career achievement award. 
There's no question about it. I mean, she's 121, and, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's not old enough yet. So part of it was Serena. The second thing was is the sort of X factor of going back to Indian Wells. And for me, anyway, I felt that, you know, there, look, there, there are very few athletes as divisive as Serena. There are people who despise her, and there are people who love her. And I personally, as someone who's sort of taking the temperature of the country these days, as polarized as we are, as racially sort of sensitive and, um, you know, uh, turbulent as we seem to be, um, the role of women, the uh, essentially issues of body shaming and victim shaming and everything else, I just felt that Serena, for me, when writing it, now this was, I, I don't know that this went into, I, I, by the way, I, I wasn't around for the decision, but, but for me as a writer, I found her fascinating as a reflection of our times. And so, again, that was me, you know, sort of teasing out an idea during, during a story. But uh, I, I've, to tell you the truth, like, I've done two of these. And in both cases, Dwayne Wade and Serena, no one has ever come to me and said, these are the reasons we're doing it and we want you to outline these in the story. These are the reasons she's getting the award or he's getting the award. It sort of basically says, they say, she's our sports person or he's our sports person, go write a story on them. That's essentially my marching orders. And so uh, that's, that's, you know, and, and again, it's not based on who had the best year. It's not based on who's the best, you know, in their sport. It's based on all kinds of X factors that, are actually above and beyond my pay grade even. But certainly, as a career achievement, and the fact that she also won three slams, um, I, I think she's as unassailable a pick as, as anybody. I mean, uh, and, you know, that she happens to be American, for an American magazine trying to sell issues, right. I'm sure sort of comes into it too. And you know what? I kind of like that about the award, to be honest, that uh, there are all these intangibles that go into it, and that... Uh, each candidate that wins or each winner every year, like you said, it, it can be for very different reasons. You know, um, when Drew Brees won, you know, it wasn't just that it was this Super Bowl quarterback, but it was a Super Bowl quarterback in New Orleans who had kind of been the face of hope in the city since he had arrived in 2006 with Sean. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you something else. I mean, there are a lot of people who say print is dead, obviously. Uh, you know, we all understand what's happening to the business. Um, and, you know, SI, in terms of influence, certainly doesn't have the influence of, of ESPN. And, you know, people always talk about the reigning influence. And I, I, those same people, and it surprises me. It surprised me that it caused argument, that it caused banks, that people were upset, which is nice because it actually tells you that SI still matters, but right. but in a place where we and, and time and era when we're continually hearing about the waning influence, it, it's astonishing how much buzz that award gets before, during, and after. I, I, I'm, I'm frankly surprised by it because I don't think it's the same as when someone wins the SB. That's what it comes and goes, and I, I, I don't know why that is, honestly. I, and I, I appreciate it because it's, it's interesting. I mean, but I will tell you that 
not only not only did the choice rile people, and again, I got as much there was as much uh, support for the decision. Oh, popularly, yeah. I think yep. as 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 there was opposition, which is mm-hmm. which, by the way, I'm sure my bosses love because that's the conversation, so on and so forth. But also, it was the photo, which which actually the cover photo also got an incredible amount of comment, right? Which was fascinating in and of itself as well. So, uh, you know, mission accomplished, I think, for SI. Um, and again, I, I have not spoken to anybody about that since. Like, I haven't spoken to the office uh, since. I've been buried finishing up this book and so on and so forth. So, you know, but, but I assume that they're happy with the response, pro yeah. and con. I put the cover down on the kitchen table and asked my wife, what do you, what do you see here? What do you think about this? And she said, well, I think Serena looks very beautiful in it, and I think it kind of shows power and that she was, uh, you know, a, a real powerful person in sports this year. Right. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And I said to her that, you know, many people online have said that it was over-sexual or, you know, some of the criticisms right. that she said – I don't see that at all. So I think sometimes people look look for things too, and I bet that was perpetuated maybe by horse people who still couldn't let go of the fact that the horse didn't win. Maybe. Well, again, that's that that goes back to I think again tennis was in the same boat with Dwayne Wade. What I mean is here's a niche sport who that that where whose partisans truly believe they should be a major sport, and and in the conversation all the time. And I'm saying tennis people feel the same way as horse people do about it. And they're looking desperately to see themselves acknowledged as their choice of their sport, as their devotion to their sport acknowledged, and um, looked upon sportsman of the year for whatever reason, when it came to Dwayne Wade and when it came to this year with, with American Pharaoh, as this award is sort of a certification of their sport and, and as a way to break it into the mainstream as a sort of certification. And so, look, I mean, American Pharaoh's achievement, it's fascinating. Triple crown. I'm not quite sure why no one actually is trying to have the jockey be the winner. Yeah, <laughs> I wondered that as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> you know it, it actually seems to make more sense, uh, sort of like the race car driver as opposed to the car, <laughs> right. uh, especially since the horse has no idea, A, that you care, the horse has no idea that you're betting on him. The horse has no idea that it's winning a triple crown. Uh, the horse just knows that it's got to go really fast because somebody's whipping him, and he's got to turn left. No, and, uh, and 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 that's great. I mean, it's it's you know a magnificent horse. Uh, but it was. I don't understand why it's so focused on the horse and not the jockey who, apparently, not only is you know doing an incredible job, obviously, but. Um, I believe was donating his winnings to charity. I mean, you know, so 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 that's an incredible sports person act as well. But I, I heard almost no <laughs> no support that way from even the horse people. Which and, and again, I'm not I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying I'm I'm clearly missing something because um, uh, that to me uh, that's more understandable than than saying American Pharaoh should win. I mean, Secretariat didn't win it either. And I kind of have a funny story about that. I was watching. I was on Twitter one night, and I noticed that Richard Deitch had a periscope, so I went to it real quick, and it was a, uh, it was an event for this award, something you know, somewhere, and uh, was it uh, 
Boomer Esiason was up there maybe interviewing mm-hmm. Serena and uh, there was someone else. I can't remember who. And uh, someone in the comments wrote something like, man, this event really would have sucked with the horse. Yeah, that would have been an interesting interview. <laughs> and uh, and I was I was laughing about that. You know, you mentioned the niche sports, and I remember one of my favorite things you've ever written, and uh, I'm going to be embarrassed if it wasn't you, but I'm almost positive, was a piece you wrote on Chris Drury for the magazine in 2006. No, that was me. Yeah, I love yeah. that piece. And I remember thinking... I was in Pittsburgh the night you were when Chris Drury tied the game um, in the last minute on the night that Mario Lemieux was on the ice to announce to Pittsburgh that the franchise would build an arena and continue there. And I remember after reading your column thinking, man, if we can finish this, I wonder if Drury could win Sportsman of the Year. Yeah. And how cool that would be for hockey. Um, and obviously, uh, we didn't finish it. Uh, Ottawa knocked us out in five, but in the conference finals. But uh, I get sort of, as a huge hockey fan, I kind of get the passion from the horse racing and the tennis people. Sometimes you want it to be your sport, you know? Um, yeah, no, I, I get it also. Because, yeah. by, by the way, I've, you know, I was constantly beating the drum year after year for Federer and Serena myself as a tennis guy. So, right. so I get it completely. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, um, begrudge the fans, their passion. And I appreciate it. I think I, I, I understand. I guess what I'm saying is I understand it because I, I actually, as a tennis, you know, someone who's steeped in tennis and often campaigned within the magazine for Federer, who could have won it three different times and without a blink of an eye, um, you know, I, I I get it. I mean, it's it, it's understandable, and it, and uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> now, you are someone who, before this, obviously, as someone who does cover tennis quite a bit, you've written about Serena many times, and I don't know what your interactions with her have been over the years, but how does it compare to when you're working with her to write the sports person of the year story? When it's not just... When it's different, when it's about winning this award, and I don't know what it means to her, someone who's accomplished right. so much, I don't know what the award exactly meant to you her. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what it means either. In the sense of, like, I don't, I know that. I, I, I mean, let me put it this way: I, I have a, I've always had a good relationship with Serena and the Williams family. Although there are times, you know, during one of Serena's blowups at, at the U.S. Open, her dad, you know yelled at me to get the get the bleep out of his face. Uh, you know, I mean, there's always been, but I've also been at the house, you know, back in 1997. I go back a ways with the family in terms of covering them. I mean, I was I was at the U.S. Open when, when Venus first arrived and the famous Sperlea bump and all this stuff. And uh, so, but, you know, first off, we're giving them an award. Uh, you know, clearly we're, you know, it's a, so, so, uh, I think everybody's happy to see me <laughs> as opposed to when, you know, uh, uh, you know, Serena had her blow up at the U S open, uh, or two, you know, they're not as happy to see, <laughs> Right. but, but so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, um, the access was great. Uh, I went to her house. Uh, I, I, you know, went to a bunch of different events all over the country, really Philadelphia, New York, uh, LA. Um, 
all-star practice. Uh, you know, I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for more of writing a story. There's no question. I'm sure that that you know one of the reasons I got that access is because it was a sports person of the year award. You know, there's no there's no question that it's a congratulatory piece. You know, obviously, uh, you know, but at the same time, I try to be fair. I think if you read the piece, you can see that you know I certainly uh, acknowledge that you know there there are things that people don't like about Serena. You know, and and um, but, you know, the nature of the sportsman piece, obviously, uh, probably, uh, I, I'll guarantee, almost always, uh, you have better access, uh, and, and, like I said, they're, they're happy to see. But, I, I mean, having said that, like, 18 months previously, I had done a piece on Serena um, in uh, a, a long bonus-type piece prior to the U.S. Open, uh, after her Wimbledon meltdown, uh, where she had this sort of strange behavior during a doubles match um, you know, was ill and everything else. Yeah. And, and they were, you know, I, I, I was actually just as, just as welcomed as I was for this. You know, I mean, I was, I, I they were, they were perfectly, um, receptive, you know? So, so, yeah, you know, I, having said that, I, I would say that overall, you know, it's, uh, uh, it wasn't that much of a difference. I, I just was around for a little more stuff than normal. One last thing on this and we can finish up. Uh, you were mentioning in the last response about how there's some things people don't like about Serena. And, yeah. And I have had my moments uh, with her as just a spectator. And, and, she, and by the way, as have I. Yeah. I mean, I've written, I've been tough on her, you know, and you know, when she threatened to shove the ball down the lines woman's throat, you right. know, profane, profanely. I mean, you know, there's just, <laughs> and you know, she'll laugh about that now. And, and I mean, laugh, meaning be chagrined about it, you know, and, and say, well, you know, on the other hand, she'll also tell you, you know, that wasn't a football. Never was. I'll never believe it. I don't football. You know, there's just, you know, but that's part of what makes her who she is. I mean, let me, let me, let me, interrupt the question, which is, sure. I, I may have even made this point prior. I, they're not, great athletes are not nice. You know, that, that, that's sort of this weird thing we've gotten into. You know, people ask me all the time, are they nice? Is he a nice guy? Is Magic Johnson nice? Is Bird nice? Is Jordan nice? And, you know, coming all the way down to Serena. And that's not their job to be nice. Their job is to beat up someone in public. You know, it's to basically humiliate someone else in public. That's essentially what athletics is. I mean, if, if every sport is sort of a, just, you know, uh, a sort of watered-down version of boxing, you know, in one way or another, uh, tennis is, is boxing at a distance, but essentially you're picking apart weaknesses. You will win, and the loser will lose. You will look good, and the loser will look bad. Now, there are some people who just want to win. There are some people who aren't out there to embarrass their opponent, but essentially that's what you're doing. You're making someone else look bad, and that takes a little bit of. Uh, uh, can we swear on the on the show? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it takes a little bit of an ass. Yeah, every every single great athlete I've known has a little bit of asshole. And and there was one. And I'm not going to name him, but I thought, well, oh, maybe I missed it. And then I asked, you know, uh, one of the great all time writers in that sport, and they said, oh no, no, you didn't miss it. It's there. You you just haven't been around a lot. I mean, and that's. They're not nice, quote unquote. They're tough. Well, they're, that, they're hard, and that's what makes them great. That's part of what makes them great. That interruption 
of the question makes the question even better. So I was warming to Serena a lot this year. I was invested mm-hmm. in her mission yep. and cheering for her and watching her like many of us were. Uh, and that day that she lost to the Italian girl, whose mm-hmm. name I can't remember, unfortunately. Yep. There you go. Uh, man, did she sour me right back the way she kind of handled it. And I wanted to really give her a pass because a lot of the attention was almost unfair to her in, in a degree. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really tough thing to go through, I think. Just like an NFL team being undefeated or a lot of things can be unnecessarily hard on these people sometimes. But when she was named, the reason I wouldn't have probably picked her for sports person of the year wasn't because of the horse or anything like that. I probably would have picked Carly Lloyd. Uh, I I was thinking of Drew Brees again and Tim Layden wrote his uh, Sportsman of the Year, and I read it yesterday knowing I'd have you today, uh, hoping I'd have you today, and I just wanted to read that again. And, you know, I'm a I'm a huge Saints fan, and fair to clo- disclosure, and, you know, Drew Brees has been the greatest blessing in my sports, my life as a sports fan. I mean, you know, struggling with guys like Billy Joe Tolliver and, and, and actually being to a point where Aaron Brooks was like a godsend, you know, and we all know his limitations, but... One thing I've loved and admired about Drew Brees through the years is every week I watch his press conference after the game. I wait for it. I usually take a nap after the Saints game because I'm exhausted. Uh, And I know I need to grow up, and I think I did better this year, but it takes a lot out of me to watch the Saints every week. And I, I always wait for Drew, and the one thing I admire about him is whether he throws for 400 yards and seven touchdowns like he did against the Giants or he gets injured like he did against the Buccaneers, or the team sucks and gets blown out like they did get against the Redskins, there's never a difference in Drew Brees in that press conference. He comes out, he's a man, he's respectful, he answers the questions. There's just an evenness to him that just doesn't exist in Serena. And it's hard to say you so need wait, that. So, wait, so what you're saying is you have no idea how he feels. Essentially, what you're saying is he's the same every time, and he covers up what he's really saying. I mean, what I'm saying is, but, and again, I'm, this is my argument. I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't think Drew Brees is fraudulent in any way. I'm just I'm, I'm making a point here. Right. No, I you, see you your know point. Exactly, you know exactly how Serena feels. <laughs> right, and <laughs> you know, I see your point. You know, so, so all I'm saying is, and again, I, you know, and that right there, however, that is part and parcel of what makes her great. That's part. Now, you may not like it. I get it. I mean, I, I get it. And if you want your, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, because Federer, by the way, he's exactly like Drew Brees in that respect. I mean, he's he's a, he could be a diplomat as well as a, a the greatest tennis player we've ever seen. You know, so so I'm not I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying, you know, they're they're that it's it's sort of like this is on you in a way. This is what you come to. This is what you want from sports. This is what you want from your quarterback and your savior and the guy who puts you to sleep for an hour after the game. And, and I get it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I, but it's just, it's just different. Some people want, you know, the blood in the blood and guts. Some people want to see the emotion good or bad. You know, I, I did a piece on Bobby Orr 
a while back. And, you know, people Yeah, it's in the SI hockey book. It's great. But, yeah. People worship Bobby Orr. You know, yeah. People in Boston and, and hockey fans, they love him. I mean, you know, and, you know, Bobby Orr was a hard-ass sheriff in that room, in that locker room. And, you know, that tends to be forgotten over time. It tends to be forgotten. And he's such an incredibly warm and giving presence out of the spotlight. So people really have this incredibly, not charitable, but admiring view of Bobby Orr. But as a competitor, he was a killer. And and he didn't brook much opposition uh, in that locker room. If you weren't living up to his standard, he'd let you know. Now, in the, in the, in the press conference, he might have been very, you know, sort of soft-spoken, but he was a tough guy, and he was a killer on the ice as well. And, of course, that's part of what people love about him, you know. But what I'm saying is, my point is simply that, um, and I get it. I get why people don't like Serena. I get why that happened. Um, you know, she's moody. You know, she can be up and down, you know. But um, I'm just saying that that, uh, that is more common, and I would guarantee you that Drew Brees has that in him as well. He just chooses when and where to show it. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, but he's, he's a great diplomat, and he's a great spokesman, and he's a good leader. There's no question about it. And he, and, and and again, he is fairly and again, candid. I understand why some people, that's why they don't like that Serena was sportsman or a sports person. Um, so, so you, you know, I, I'm, I'm just saying uh, it's there with Drew Brees, too. Right. That's, what, that's part of what makes him great. Right. And that's he wants, fair. He wants, to, he, he wants to knock their teeth out, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a fierce competitor. He's ultra competitive. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's not that he puts me to you. You kind of the thing that is special about him is he comes out and he says stuff. It's not just cliches. It's just that he delivers the message in a more professional manner than Serena does, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You know, so okay. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know fair point. Yeah. SL Price is finally on Twitter. Oh, well, he's been for a while, so we can't finish with that of course he's at by sl price there you can read him there uh the serena williams cover story uh that we talked about the sportsman of the year was two or three issues ago now but it is available on si.com uh if you google sl price serena williams it is the first uh the first piece there uh so you can find that fairly easily uh, you said you're finishing a book. Do I know about this? Do I know about this book? Are you talking about it's it? Aliqu- Aliquippa. Oh, it's the Aliquippa book. You've asked me about it. Oh, and it's finished. Finishing. It oh, when do we, do we have a release date? I think it's in the uh, in the fall. I think that's that's what they're aiming at. From zero to a hundred, what do you think are the chances I get a galley copy of said book? I have no idea. Okay. I honestly, I I don't know what I mean. It's it's so fresh. I have no idea what my publisher is planning or what. I just I it's out of my hands right now. Thank God. Well, I can't wait for it. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I've been waiting for it so long. I forgot when you mentioned you were yeah, no, finishing no, I know. the book. I, I get it. Was... It's been four years. Four years <laughs> we're working on it. This book is going to be great. Do you have a title? Do not. Still, still working on it. Still working on it. We're still, we're still kicking it back and forth. Are you, uh, are you happy with it? Uh, 
At this point, it's I have no idea. It's, <laughs> uh, it's I've looked at it so often that it's uh, I, I have no idea what it is. But but my publisher seems happy with it. So for the moment, I'll take that. Well, I can't wait to uh, have you back when we're just talking about that. That's going to be a fun one. Thank you. Um, well, I appreciate you asking about it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I love that piece. That something about that piece just resonated with me. And then there was a great video accompaniment to it as well. Uh, I video remember. Was aston- it was astonishing. Yes, it's great. Yeah. Uh, just really good stuff. And people can find that as well if you Google uh, SL Price and Al Equipa Football. You can find that piece on SI.com, and it's worth it's worth your while. Uh, we will be featuring that book in the book club. Um, in the fall for absolutely for certain, no matter what. And uh, we'll get Mr. Price on to talk about that. All right. You want lunch, I'm sure. And uh, that was more time than I deserve. Anything else you want to mention before we go? No, we're all set. Any questions for me? Any questions for you? You're in Buffalo, right? Yes. It's nasty here today. Winter has arrived. And And the Sabres are... The Sabres are making me very happy, to be honest. I know the results aren't there yet mm-hmm. on the yeah. in wins and losses, uh, but the vision that Tim Murray has for the team, the things that he's doing uh, to to make the team better, are absolutely on the ice. Uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly has been awesome. That was a great trade, uh, and Jack Eichel is every bit what we hoped Jack Eichel would be when we basically threw away a season for the hopes in getting him or Connor McDavid. Um, and the, the team missed the playoffs by 40 points last year. So to be 11 points out this year, uh, despite the fact that that still means you're last in the division and uh, 29th in the league, that doesn't bother me. I'm okay with that. I didn't think they'd be a playoff team. Anyway, and I I couldn't be happier to to watch this team kind of be growing up. And before Jack Eichel was the second pick, the year before Sam Reinhart was the second pick in the draft, and he had a hat trick this weekend and has twelve goals. And uh, part of what I was really hoping for going into the season was proof that that was a good second overall pick, and I've gotten that. So I'm happy with the Sabers. I think. Well, and what's what's the weather like up there right now? Oh, like I said, uh, winter has arrived today. We Here's the thing in Buffalo. You are so happy in November, October, and even December when it's it's warmish. Uh, but the hidden evil to that is that the lake doesn't get cold. And when it's January and the lake is still not frozen at all and it gets really cold and you get this blast of Arctic air from Canada – or wherever it comes from, uh, you basically have a week of dread, and that week of dread is starting uh, about last night around six. So I'm sure. A week of dread. Yeah, we were on the news last night, the national news, because some dope parked their car basically right in front of the lake, and it turned into an ice car. Did you see that picture? It turned into what? An ice car. Like there's this <laughs> there's this road called Route Five, which runs. I mean, you can go from all the way to Erie, Pennsylvania on Route 5. Uh, but uh-huh. in the Hamburg area, um, it's really close to the lake. And they often close it because when it's real windy, the waves will fly onto the road. 
Right. And someone left their car in a parking spot that I'm sure is a great one in the summer when you might want to go down on the beach and fish or something. And by the next day, so much water had got on top of it that it's completely frozen. It looks like something like at an ice museum, like an ice sculpture. It no longer is a visible car. It just looks like the shape of a car, and it's covered by about three, four, five, six inches of ice. I don't know. You have just that Google is, ice car when is, we're done, and that is outstanding. Now yeah, that's you, something that, that, that's worth googling. Yeah, that is worth googling, and you'll get a yeah. chuckle of that. But yeah, so the weather winter is here. Winter is very much here this week. Oh, so. I'm glad you're warmed by the by the progress of the sabers. I have a pregnant wife, and of course a colon that does not allow me to shovel anymore. So this year we had to get a plow service, and it's yet uh-huh. to, it's yet to come. It comes when there's. Uh, three inches or more of snow in the driveway, and we've got to have that. So that's what winter's been like here this year. Very mild. Well, well, get, get ready because it ain't over yet. It is here. It is here. All right, okay. Mr. Price, thank you so much for all this time. I always enjoy having you on. Thank you for helping us kick off uh, Season 6 in such a sp- spectacular way. It's by SL Price on Twitter, and, of course, you can find his work on SI.com and in the – uh, magazine, which continues to frustrate me when it comes in the mail and the guy hoped was on the cover is not. Like this weekend when I desperately wanted the Adrian Peterson cover and got the Clemson quarterback. Well, I have a feeling you're, you know which one you're getting this week. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. This week is a no-brainer. Thank you so much, sure. sir. Thank you, Stephen. All right, I want to thank S.L. Price for being on the podcast today. Finally, his book about Al Equipa football is just about ready. It was weird because I asked him, he mentioned finishing his book, and I asked him what book, and, and he laughed at me, as you heard in the interview, because I've asked him about that book for the last four years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just slipped my mind at the time. Speaking of books, if you're new to the show, and I'm sure with the debut of season six and the buzz that will generate, oh yeah, we have many new listeners. This is the point where we usually promote books, and usually we'll be honest, we promote these books so that we can get the people who write them on the show. Right, people love talking and about their books. It's been a very effective strategy. Yep, as we've gotten people like Frank DeFord, who would have never been on, or John Smoltz, who would have never been on, or the OG, the OG Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Passan. First episode. First episode was promoting a book. We met Jeff Perlman through his books. Right. Sweetness was the first one he came on to promote. He's since promoted Showtime and soon will be promoting his Brett Favre book on the show. Uh, so it's effective. We met Blake J. Harris, one of our good friends, a lover of the the podcast, when he was promoting his book, uh, Console Wars. Right, yeah. Um, so it's a great way for us to help other people to whatever degree that helps. We don't know. There's no way to quantify how many copies of console wars were sold because <laughs> blake was on the show but hopefully it was some uh so i think it's good for them and it's good for us because we get to meet and talk to people oh Artie lang all right on the show yeah yeah because of a book well because we've been doing this a while i don't always have to go to the publisher mm-hmm. sometimes it's 10 o'clock in the morning i'm sleeping 
because I just listened to Howard Stern for four and a half hours and I'm <laughs> going back to sleep. And my dog starts barking because the UPS man is delivering a book. And I think, who's sending me a book? And this happened recently. And it was a book, nice looking book from Harper Collins, which is one of the bigger. Yeah, sure. One of the big boys, right? And I get this book, and it's called NFL Confidential. And it's written by an author named Johnny Anonymous. His birth name. It's his birth name, yes. <laughs> and I'm looking at the book, and it's got a guy who looks like he's ready for football, but he's got tape on his mouth. And there's a, the word fucking with little stars. Stars. And and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because you can't say Spell that it. stuff, yeah, I guess, wanna, or whatever. Read that. It's dirty. Yeah, True Confessions from the Gutter of Football mm-hmm. by Johnny Anonymous. So I'm like, what the hell? So I'm looking. These books all come with little press releases in them, too. Yep. You know, so I'm trying to figure out what it is. I go to my email, and I have an email from uh, the publisher. And it says, it's clearly a form email with okay. my name at the top. Sure, you know? yeah. It says, at any moment now, you will receive a copy of the book. It's an unprecedented, explosive tell-all about the National Football League that will go on sale January 5th, which is just in time for the playoffs. <laughs> right. Um, and no... Obviously, Johnny Anonymous is not the author's real name. <laughs> Wait, they wrote that? Yeah. Oh, okay. If we told you his real name, it would mean this book was approved by the NFL before we went to print. And trust us, they would not approve. But Johnny is very real. He's an offensive lineman and has been a pro football player for a few years now. And he hates it. He hates what it does to his body, to his brain, to his life. So he decided to risk his career and write a book that is so devastatingly honest that he can't even tell you his real identity. They said it was an offensive lineman, right? Yep, I just said that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank I, you for listening. I, <laughs> uh, now here's the good news. There's more good news. Oh, okay. Johnny is available for phone interviews starting in early January. Mm. Please note, though, his schedule is limited and his voice will be modulated. And then they provided some talking points. <laughs> We wanted to interview him. So as soon as I got to his schedule is limited and his voice is modulated, (laughs) I totally bailed on the idea because, one, I didn't feel like fighting for a spot with the guy whose voice was going to be modulated. Sure. And I kind of forgot about it. We fight with Skype once in a while as it is. I just sort of forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. Until yesterday, I'm listening to the now O&J show. Yeah, Opie and Jimmy. Yeah. And they apparently decided to get a spot on the limited schedule. Okay. But it did not appear that O or J knew the voice would be modulated. Oh, really? And it was a wreck. And within two minutes, Jimmy especially had turned on Johnny Anonymous. It's funny because Jimmy can be like the sweetest guy in that show, but he also, I think, has the lowest tolerance for just nonsense. Oh, and boy, did he turn quick. <laughs> and I could, you could feel it. If you listen to that show, you kind of know whether it was whether it's going to be Opie or Anthony in the past or, or Jimmy, maybe someone else. You know when that room's going to turn, and yeah. boy, did it turn. And before you knew it, Opie was like, oh, I think you're cutting out. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> right? So then later in the show, uh, they come back, 
and they're talking about how when they're ending it, they were saying to the guy, this just isn't working. Try to call us back on a different line. It must just be a bad connection. You know, because you couldn't really hear the guy. It was just a bust, you know? So it was bad. It's not just them. No, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Kenny comes in. They're getting ready to wrap the show, right? And Kenny, who works for the sh- for He's guys like Opie to the show. Security. Yeah, yeah, he used to work for Dice. Yeah. And he travels with Jimmy now. Okay, right. I met him when Jimmy was here in Buffalo last year. It's very intimidating. Yeah. Um, he comes in and he says, before you guys go, are you going to get David Malt? I mean, are you going to get Johnny Anonymous back on the show? So I look and Reddit uh, has cracked the case. Johnny Anonymous is, in fact, a player named David Mulk. And you can go to the NFL subreddit uh, and find uh, the evidence. And by the way, it's hilarious this guy thought he wouldn't be found. Especially with how much specific we were talking about. Here's some. We here, I'll give yeah. you some of the specifics. He's 6'3, 279. Okay. So that immediately eliminates everyone who's not 6'3 <laughs> or 279. Right, especially if he's going right by his NFL bio. He's a center okay. and was cut from his first team. So how many centers can there be in the league? Yeah. I mean, three a team, maybe. Who's 6'3, like 279, right. and was cut his second year from his first team. Right. He's white. Another limiting factor. Okay, so there's half the guys. Uh, he plays on an NFL team where a diva wide receiver got dropped for asking for too much money. Uh, that's probably a lot of guys. <laughs> a lot of teams. Uh, he's um, A starting offensive line got dropped too because he's getting old, decided to retire. It's a bunch of things. And bam, they find a David Mulk. He's listed at 6'1", 290, drafted in 2012 by the Chargers. They cut him in 2013 due to injury. The Eagles signed him in 2014. So the wide receiver that was let go for wanting too much money is Deshaun Deshaun Jackson. Jackson. Uh, Mulk played at Michigan. He won the Remington uh, Remington Trophy for the top center. Uh, What else? Oh, the offensive lineman that retired was Wade Smith. Does this book interest you more if it's written by... Deshaun Jackson, like a guy that is a household name, I would say. Like, is it? It's probably the most interesting if it's written by like Aaron Rodgers or something. But David Malk, first of all, really felt the need to use a voice modulating device. Does anybody on the planet know what David Malk sounds like, other than like the hardest of hardcore Chargers and Eagles fans? It reminded me when Mike and the Mad Dog was a show. Uh huh. Every year they give away five trips to the Super Bowl at this trivia contest that was pretty tough what was the toughest about it was the fourth question you had to get right you had to get four questions right to get it okay what was really hard is you, it was really tough to, to look up the four because they were audios okay and they were just a, a soundbite of a guy talking about a super bowl moment and there was some clues in there that you could kind of look up and find out but they were really difficult and they would stump people on like reggie white you know, or so like there was just guys you knew that you just couldn't get their voice, right? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I have no interest in this book. Uh, like I said, as soon as it came, I tapped out. Uh, I wasn't gonna fight with Harper Collins to get his limited time. 
and deal with voice modulation and right. all that. Yeah, the thing I said to you off the air that most interests me is I wonder what type of deal this guy got. Because if this is based on like book sales or something like that and not some up – because how much money is David Malk going to get up front? It can't be a ton. But if it's based on book sales, I bet this is talked about a lot because people that hate football are going to pick anything in there that's hateable or sexist. And or, he wrote it for you to hate football. Right. You know, so those so. people are going to have a field day with it. He'll – do the talk show circuits, I'm sure, once it comes out, who we... I mean, he can't play football if if he decides to... Well, he here's the it. thing. I have one, and I don't want it. Don doesn't want it. So if you want it, yeah, email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I'll send it to you. Simple as that. There you go. If you're the first one to email me and say you want this book, give me your address, and uh, I will send it to you. I will warn you, I am not great at it. It takes me a bit. <laughs> But anyone I've ever promised a book to has got it eventually. Go. So, but it might take a few weeks. So I'm not a big post office guy. Hey, it's a free book. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with uh, Chris Trapasso. Our next guest is from Rochester and is a Valparaiso grad. He's the yeah, NFL. that's a Valparaiso song. Yeah, we got the fight song uh, rocking for you here. He Thank is you. a NFL.com homepage editor, a writer for CBS, and a staffer at Comeback Sports. He's making his first appearance on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Chris Trapasso. Let's go, man. It's going pretty good, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing it. So Rochester, huh? I saw I saw in your thing that you're from Western New York. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I saw it was Rochester. I was like, eh, well, maybe not that cool. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, no, like right kidding. in between Rochester and Buffalo, actually. Medina like in, is where I'm from. Medina. Oh, all right. Okay. Yep. So it's like it's about 40 minutes between each uh, city, so I can kind of pick and choose which city um, to kind of head to on the weekend sometimes. That's not bad. Do you live there still? Or do you live? Yeah, I do yeah. live there. Yep, that's awesome. So you can work all the different things I just said. You can do all that from there, huh? Mm-hmm. Tell me what it means to because I honestly don't know what does it mean to be an NFL dot com page editor. What what is? Um, yeah, I'm on a team. Um, the NFL Media and NFL Network is based in LA, obviously. Right. Um. So obviously, with the time zone differences, they just they need someone on the East coast to kind of just pretty much man the website in the morning. Um, you know, and I start at eight in the morning, obviously it's, it's 5am out there on the West coast and just doing stuff from, you know, taking an article, let's say written by Albert Breer, um, putting a caption on it, putting a picture on it, um, a headline, getting it on the site from, let's say eight until 10 in the morning, moving things around due to, you know, I was looking at like traffic, um, you know, relevance of the stories. Um, and so I'm on a team that, that just throughout the day and, and, and pretty much 24 seven is, is just monitoring the website, moving stories around, building, uh, stories that, that like, we obviously just get like the plain text for the stories and then building those, um, to go on the site in, in a lot of different locations and in a lot of different boxes on the site. 
throughout the day. That's really cool. We have a lot of friends, uh, friends of the show that write for NFL.com. And um, I got to imagine then when you're home and and the day is going on, whether you have a TV in front of you or you're on Twitter and something breaks, it's like, okay, game time. Story's going to be coming. Where's it going to go? What are you going to do? Like, for example, if you're sitting there and you hear, all right, Sean Payton's staying with the Saints, just something that happened recently. Uh, what is the first thing you think of from a page editor standpoint? Well, actually, yeah. I mean, there have been obviously a lot of instances. Um, I started in August 2014 um, with NFL.com. So there have been a lot of instances like that. Actually, like on my second week on the job, I think, before a Browns preseason game, uh, Mike Patton named Johnny Manziel a starter. And even though it was a preseason game, that was pretty big news um, at that point. So what I would first do at that point is um, go on the site and, and see if there's anything anywhere on the site at all that, you know, you know um, let's say to use your – your Sean Payton um, example that would say, you know, something that would be out of date that would say, Hey, is Sean Payton leaving, you know, a video, an article, what will the scenes do without Sean Payton? Take those things down. Um, there's a lot of editor or there's a, a, a lot of writers all over the U S Connor Orr is in, or is on the East coast. Uh, Kevin Patra writes for NFL.com from Chicago. And, and then there's obviously the Greg Rosenthal, Chris Chris Wesseling, uh, Dan Hanzoos, Mark Sessler that are all out in LA. I need to wait for them to write a quick article about it, find a picture to put on it, you know, find a, a um, or write an appropriate headline for the article, um, get it into the actual um, NFL.com mobile app on the, you know, top of the website. So it's, it's, it's fast paced. It's, it's about as fast as, you know, a, a quick article about news like that could be written. And then I'm just the guy that really needs to execute or I'm on a team and, you know, in the morning, I'm the guy that, that executes getting all those things up. So when you see that Sean Payton is staying with the saints and you see it on the top of your NFL.com app and you see it on the top of the website, that's probably, you know, what you're seeing the picture or the caption, the headline, like I've been saying, uh, that's probably done by me or someone on my team throughout the day. That's really interesting. I wonder the, just something that interests me about this, and we can move on in a second, but uh, when something comes in that has dual newsworthiness, maybe uh, maybe in the regular season, I'm a Saints guy, so I just keep thinking of Saints things. The day that it comes out, okay, Drew Brees isn't playing against Carolina this week. So that's obviously an NFL thing, and maybe you have a piece from Albert Breer coming in on that. But maybe also you have a piece from Michael Fabiano coming in on that or Adam Rank about the the fantasy implications of it. Um, How do you kind of decide where those things might be on the site? Is it like an example where maybe in the headlines you kind of just put a line in and it's two links there? Or tell me a little bit about balancing the different reasons why we're interested in NFL news and how that affects you editing the front page of NFL.com. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, you know, I think like that example is perfect that where there's news and there's fantasy implication, there's implication for the other team, um, you know, with their like being kind of like, a, you know, a, a really good quarterback who's who's injured, who's not going to play. Um, if you notice on the fr- on the on the front page of of NFL.com, yeah, there's a big, you know, yeah, yeah there's a big, um, big picture, big, big article on the front. And then under that, you know, like there'll be, like I said, headline, caption, 
And then there's always three, what we call related links. So for that Sean Payton story, it would be, all right, here's Albert Breer's article. He was, he was at the press conference. Let's say, um, he wrote a quick thing like he's going to stay. Here's why he wants, he's committed to Drew Brees in 2016. So that's what we want people to click on. But then after that, and it kind of works what I assume would be like any other newsroom where the fantasy guys are, are, are on Twitter. They're watching NFL network, you know, obviously in the NFL office, there's, you know, all that's on pretty much is NFL network. They're reacting and, and, and either writing articles or going really quickly to, to shoot videos on it. And from that, we would have to wait maybe five to anywhere, maybe from five to like 30 minutes, um, to then get some fresh content about the fantasy implications, about what it means, um, for the Panthers defense in that case, uh, and then get those into those three spots on that main article on the front of the site. And that's really, so there's just a lot of housekeeping that goes on. Like I said, originally, you know, taking down, you know, what then would be old news or irrelevant news. Um, and then just as stuff comes in from all the different departments, the fantasy department, um, the, the, um, long form department where there'd be more of an um, analysis piece, anything from Bucky Brooks that would maybe be, you know, how does, how does Drew Brees not playing, you know, really help the Panthers defense. And, you know, if he does a quick video and, and shows some all 22 tape, get that in there. So it, it's really, it's, it's a, it's pretty quick pace, but you know, over the next 15 to, to 30 to 45 minutes after that big news breaks, that's when, you know, everyone, all the, the, the quote unquote talent is, is either writing shooting video, getting some tweets out there uh, that I can add to the website and just make sure that it's as relevant and, and as up-to-date as possible. I want to tell you something I love about the NFL.com homepage. Um, and a lot of it is because of doing this podcast. And when you're talking to someone, things come up and you want to look at something maybe. Uh I was talking to S.L. Price earlier, and we were talking about different sportsmen of the year, sports person of the year now at SI, and we actually started talking about the Drew Brees uh, when he won in 2010, and I, I was pretty sure Tim Layden wrote that, but I wanted to double check, um, and I you know looked in, and I, I saw that Tim Layden wrote it, but I knew I couldn't click on the article because their video was going to start playing, and we'd have noise, and I know if I go to ESPN.com, a video is going to start playing and I'll have noise. But I know if I go to NFL.com and Yahoo, uh, at NFL.com a video plays, but the audio doesn't play unless you go to it. And Yahoo doesn't have mm-hmm. any videos. That's true. And I just think that's so that's so great. Like I know people need video and I know it pushes traffic, but I can't stand when you go to a video and the audio starts. So that's a huge kudos to NFL.com and, and to Yahoo as well, which is another example. Yeah, I mean those like autoplay videos are just they're just part of just with the whole marketing and there's gonna be commercials on those a lot. But yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty sure that like most videos are not gonna blast audio, you know, right into your ears right away when you go onto the site. Right, because I see Dave Damachak talking right now, but there's no audio playing because I haven't requested mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um one last thing about this. Did, what is something that just is there a player or a team? You you said you follow the traffic as well. What what or who really drives traffic? Like, I think there's some obvious ones, but maybe something we wouldn't think of that re- like people want to read about this on NFL.com. It really uh, drives traffic to the site. I'm trying to think. Um, Was there one that blew I, you away yeah. this year? 
Like, wow, I did not that, expect that. Was there a story this year that kind of blew you away? Like, wow, I did not expect that to do that well. I'm just trying to think just because I I, I know I didn't prep you moved for this. around yeah. so many articles mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, obviously, like you said, there's obvious ones. The Steelers, right. the Cowboys, the Patriots um, are going to do really well. What do seem to do pretty well um, are, I mean, sometimes they can get kind of lengthy, which we all know that, you know, a lot of people are not wanting to be online reading stuff for, for, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes. But a lot of the Bucky Brooks and a lot of the Daniel Jeremiah all 22, you know, breakdowns, whether it's a playoff game, whether it's a preseason game, those seem to do, you know, pretty well, regardless of matchup, regardless of the week, um, that those are articles that come out usually at least once a week, you know, that, that they'll, you know, that team of writers and their editors will kind of just pinpoint, okay, let's do, uh, let's do Ben Roethlisberger against the Broncos defense uh, this week. They seem to do really well. They get, you know, a lot of shares um, that just, I think, because obviously being NFL.com, they have access to all the all 22, they can draw on the pictures, they can do whatever. Um, and obviously Bucky Brooks, you know, has a wealth of knowledge with that X and O stuff. So does Daniel Jeremiah. Um, so those are usually, uh, you know, those go over pretty well. Recently, I've been surprised that, like, today um, there was a segment on on the um, NFL um, morning show about RG3. And to me, it's like, RG3, is he a big name anymore? No, you know, he's been the backup. Like, he was really an afterthought the season with the Redskins. It was all about Kirk Cousins. Really, we didn't hear a thing about RG3 until, you know, he left, you know, for the final time yesterday right. from his locker there. Um, but that that video blew up. It was, you know, what's next for RG3? And really those players, Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, RG3, um, they those guys, they still resonate. People still want to hear about them, even if they, you know, haven't really done much or been productive over the last, just those those polarizing people. And I think that's because, you know, they have the people that, 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 dislike them and think that they're never going to be good and they have you know they're they're very ardent backers that are going to read any piece of information about them so uh yeah so like more specifically of late i've just noticed that anything about mandel anything about even rg3 um will still get a lot of people um clicking sharing um spending a lot of time on the site you know i was thinking about those all 22 pieces and i know i often will read them as well and i think Fans, I think what we like about those is we want to know that what we think we've seen on TV was right. You know, like you, yeah. you got all your friends over, you're watching the game, your team gives up a, a play over the top, and it's like that son of a bitch Brandon Browner blew it again. And I'm just trying to act like I'm the expert in the room. And secretly then during the week I want to check the All-22 film and make sure, okay, that was Browner that needed to give that, you know, or – you know, or I'm disappointed when I found out, ugh, Browner pushed him off to Bird and Bird didn't get over and that's a, you know. So I think people like to to kind of confirm what they know, what they think they've seen and also it's really a great way to learn the game and what people's responsibilities yeah, are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the sportscasters are here. Uh, we're talking to uh, to Chris about NFL.com and I wanted to, we had Dan, the last few weeks ago we had Dan Levy on the show. Uh, right before, it was either the day before or the day of the Comeback Sports launch. I know you're doing some work over there. What have you liked about mm-hmm. What have you liked about Comeback Sports so far, and uh, what do you think about the the kind of infancy of the site and what's went well? Well, I think first off, I think 
uh, Ben Koo, who is like the CEO, editor in chief of the site. Um, he was big with awful, um, with awful announcing with the whole blogging network. He's like, I think I'm pretty sure he, he founded that entire blog network. Um, he's been great. I think Dan Levy, um, is a perfect guy to kind of be really hands on with the writers. You know, I've, I've been emailing him back and forth over this month and a half, um, since, since the site launched, he's just a you know, a veteran writer that's, that's covered and, and written about everything from, European soccer leagues, NFL, to baseball, to steroid stuff. To, so he's he's really you know he's covered all the topics. Yeah, I think um, he's, he's a really very underrated. Plugged, yeah, he's a very plugged yeah. in sports guy. He's pretty funny, great writer too. Um, and what I've liked about it so much is that, and, and and I think this is you know probably what a lot of writers hope for or wish for that um, I had actually written for a Bills site. Um, that was part of the blogging network called Buffalo Winds probably five or six years ago. So I, I had a previous relationship with Ben um, and they were really, you know, super nice that they were looking for a lot of writers and, and pretty much, you know, to cover every sport. And they've given me a lot of freedom. And, you know, there've been a few times where they've asked me like, Hey, you know, like, what do you think about writing something about, Rex Ryan being a Bills guy or, or, Hey, like we need you to write something about the Arizona Cardinals with the running back injuries, you know, earlier in December. Um, but you know, I've written, I think five or six articles so far and like three or four of them have just been me going to them and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? And they've been really open. There's been a lot of, you know, collaboration back and forth to kind of, you know, uh, mold the angle to be something that's going to be appealing that, that is what I want to write, what they want on the site. So I think, um, and not that at, at this point it's the next Grantland, but I think with Grantland being gone, right, um, there's a void there. You know, there's there is yeah, there's yeah. space for that for some longer form, whether they're analytical, whether they're actual features on players, on teams, on coaches. There's definitely you know open space, so to speak, on the internet for that. And I think. I mean, they've never told me that, hey, we're trying to be the next Grantland because that site was, you know, had so many amazing, super talented writers, like the cream of the crop of the industry. Um, but I just think it's fun to be a part of, and they certainly, and, and certainly with the comebacks, uh, you know, guys, uh, like Ty Schalter, Andrea Hanks, a lot of former Bleach Report people, a few other guys that, you know, are, you know, have written for the New York Times, Sports Illustrated. So I think they really try to assemble as good of a cast as, as possible. Um, and just didn't want to just cover, you know, just NFL or just the big stuff. There's, there's hockey, there's, there's basketball, there's everything on there. So I think, um, you know, anytime you're part of something that's, that's just starting, it's really fun to see, you know, where it will take off that I was writing for Bleacher Report in 2007, 2008, when it was, you know, no one had really heard of it. And then I was not there for the entire ride, but, you know, I watched and was lucky enough to be, you know, on staff. Um, at Bleach Report, as it started to gain credibility, uh, you know, get a much better reputation, and and right. it's really become one of the major players today. So it's certainly been fun, and I'm really looking forward to you know covering a lot of stuff from the draft to free agency. I mean, I'm I'm mainly going to be NFL. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't really have any other plans for that site to write you know um, really about any other league, any other sport. But I'm 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 really excited, obviously, that with the playoffs ramping up, draft coming up, free agency. Um, that it'll be a really fun beginning of 2016 and just throughout the whole year. Yeah, and Dan was a big reason that Bleacher Report gained credibility as well. Yep. Uh, 
as a Bills guy, you were you were you pleased with the Whaley extension? What's that? As a Bills guy, were you pleased with the Whaley extension? Oh, with the Whaley extension. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think I think Rex Ryan and just the tinkering, the over tinkering, I should say, that he did with the defense this season was much more disappointing than than the roster that the Bills GM Doug Whaley has really assembled over the last two to three years. Um, certainly, he he's had his mistakes. Um, he technically was not the GM when they drafted EJ Manuel in, in 2013, but he, you know, I've always thought that was his pick. Um, actually, going back to NFL.com, if you if you search, I think even Doug Whaley EJ Manuel pick one of the first art, or like one of the top searches on Google that that will come up is an NFL.com article by Chris Wesseling, which has a video embedded of Doug Whaley. Um, I think it was on Total Access saying that he was responsible for setting up the draft board. And like most GMs, you know, he said it was a, you know, a group effort with all the scouts with then GM buddy Nix. He was named GM a month later after that. So, you know, that's obviously his big miss, but I think, when you get someone like Carlos Williams in round five, when you trade Kiko Alonso for Shady McCoy, and LaShawn McCoy was, you know, he didn't have 1,600 yards. He was hurt for, for three or four or five games. But when he was on the field, the Bills' offense was really good. Um, you know, probably the best offense that I've seen in, in the last decade in terms of just the, the, the run-pass balance. There was a lot of times when plays were getting blown up in the backfield and he was making five and six guys miss and still getting three or four or five yards. Right. Um, there's just a litany of guys that he's brought in, you know, certainly some guys that are older that were brought in from previous GMs, but I think he's done, he's done a good enough job, you know, with, with a nine and seven season last year an eight and eight season this year, obviously, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the bills want to be in the playoffs, want to be, you know, going deep in the playoffs, winning Super Bowls. But when you look at what's, what this organization or where this organization has been since the turn of the century that, you know, this guy seems. He comes from the Pittsburgh Steelers background um, that he seems to know how to evaluate talent. Um, he's been really good on the waiver wire. And I think at this point, um, one year into the Rex Ryan era, it, it would have done a lot more harm to then get rid of the GM, um, you know, and, and it would kind of push the bills more toward the rebuilding state than they've been in for the last 15 years. than you know, trying to move forward out of that rebuilding state. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say that the manual pick was a miss, obviously, but I think mm-hmm. some of the uncertainty with the ownership and maybe some of the desperation with Whaley and Marone um, kind of forced the issue a little bit with uh, with EJ and might have ruined his development a little bit. I don't think he got a totally a fair shake. That's a discussion for another time. But I think that really his big miss was the Watkins trade. And it's not because Watkins is bad. It's just there was no need to make that trade. Now, that might be a little revig- revisionist, uh, but... I mean, when you look at that that draft, I don't I don't know why they needed to trade up there, and I don't know why they needed to do it to give up another first round pick. But yeah, that's yeah, a no, big totally. that's I a big think... debate on this show because I'm not a Bills fan, and the co my co host is, so we've debated that quite a bit. And I just no, I, I I think I think just just very quickly on this. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think when you look at it this way, and this is how I'll I'll always view this. Um, Sammy Watkins will never be an extra first round pick better than Odell Beckham Jr. Or that Brandon think, Cooks or Allen Robinson. I mean, 
You know, like he's he, he's yeah, probably exactly, better than Brandon exactly. Cooks, I mean, but is he I an think, extra first I think round Beckham pick? Is the guy, yeah, yeah. I think Beckham is the guy, though, that a lot of people, you know, obviously compare him to just because they were the first or the you know both um, right. you know super high draft picks have yeah. both been and the very stars, good, but obviously the Beckham stars. is a superstar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. He could have you know picked Calvin Benjamin even, or right. you know Allen Robinson had a yep. you know awesome season. So I think it's it's that pick. In terms of give, uh, giving up a first round pick, um, no, I, I don't think. And I think even if if you really sat Doug Doug Whaley down and 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 you know no cameras around, he would probably say, you know what, that probably was not the best trade. We got a you know a a potentially all pro caliber player out of it, but we could have gotten Odell Beckham if we stayed put. Probably we could have got a lot of other receivers later in, in that ridiculous 2014 wide receiver class. Um, but I think, you know, in saying that they didn't have a first round pick this year in the second round, he picks Ronald Darby. Everyone's kind of like, had a great draft cornerback. Yeah. He had a great draft. Yeah. Everyone's yep. kind of like cornerback five, nine, like what's the deal here? You know, like really, you know, top prospect coming out of high school can run with anybody, but his ball skills were a little, uh, and then he had, you know, arguably, you know, I mean, he's probably going to get votes for the defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I he's think probably Marcus the second Peters, best rookie corner. Probably the second best rookie. Yeah, corner. I yeah. think Marcus Peters, Peters is probably going to win, yep. but you mm-hmm. know, Marcus Peters was a top what top twenty five pick. You get Darby, in, you know, middle to late in the second round. Carlos right. Williams was a good pick. Um, so I think with the drafting, with what he's done on the waiver wire, you know, picking up Bakari Rambo. I'm trying to think of other players. Stephen Charles has been a, a very good backup defensive tackle. Um, Scott Chandler was a waiver wire uh, pickup back in the day. So I think Whaley, you know, I don't think he's, you know, he does not have a resume at this point that, you know, you would say he's going to go into the Hall of Fame, but I think he's made more smart decisions than bad decisions. And when you look at the Bills' overall roster, they certainly underachieved this season, especially looking at the defense, but this overall roster, I think he's done a good job building the team. Um, Yes, they have holes. Yes, they're going to need to to have another good draft. They're going to have to have another good free agency period. Um, but I think at this point, to cut ties with him, and then you're looking for a GM, and then does the GM like Rex Ryan? Right. They need the not, stability. They bring... Yeah, they need the stability. Yeah, they, yeah. they need stability. Yep. And, and I, I think you fire your GM, you fire your coach when things are four and twelve, three and thirteen, repeatedly, and and really in the NFL, the difference between. Seven and nine, nine and seven, eight and eight, six and ten is not that big. I think when you, I mean, if you ask, if you pull any fan base of pretty much any team that's not the Patriots, they can say, oh, well, yeah, there was this one play where the ball bounced up here and that's why we lost, or there was this phantom holding call and, and that. So I think there's the, the margin of error so, or, so or, or the, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a big discrepancy between being seven and nine and nine and seven. So I nope. think if you're, on the cusp, that's not when you fire your GM and, and 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 start over. So overall, and I had been you know tweeting this for a while. I I was happy and, and thought that it made sense for the Bills to extend Wheelie at this point. The sportscasters are here with uh, Chris Trapasso from NFL.com and Comeback Sports, and you can find him on Twitter at Chris T R A P A S S O. So far, we've talked about literally everything I didn't plan on talking about, uh, but I do want to <laughs> talk you ask you a couple questions about the games this weekend before I let you go if you got a couple sure. more minutes. Uh, we had four home teams lose this week. 
which was the first time ever, I think, in the wild card round that all the home teams lost. Do you like uh, any of the road teams this week? Well, I think what's what's really been weird is that I've seen and I've heard and I've I've just read a lot of tweets that people like the Kansas City Chiefs going into Foxborough and beating the Patriots, and it's it's hard. I mean, it's like it's hard to bet against either either team because it's always like, oh, yep, this is when the Patriots are, you know, they're finally gonna, you know, not play well, and Tom Brady's finally gonna be done getting up there in age, and they always seem to pull it out. And the Chiefs have won 11 straight games, so right. it's like, which I I don't think I don't think I can see the Chiefs uh, winning that game. Though I think uh, it was more about how bad the Texans were. You know, some of those some of those passes from Brian Hoyer, which he certainly is not the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, but <laughs> some of those plays, DeAndre Hopkins is 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 coming across the middle on a 15 yard dig, and he's airmailing the ball five yards above his head. Like it, that was really hard to watch that quarterbacking effort. Um, I just think the Patriots, they're getting a little healthier. Julian Edelman is going to be back. Um, I think the offensive line is still a little bit of an issue, but I think with Edelman and that and high tower game, might be back on Patriots defense. We'll get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the Steelers are probably the team that probably have the best chance to win um, on the road. Assuming Roethlisberger is there, assuming he's not. Yeah, I mean, obviously way. it'll depend on the injuries. Will right. Antonio Brown play? Is I mean, it doesn't seem like Roethlisberger is going to be 100%. He might only be 75%. Seems real similar to with, the Breeze injury earlier in the year. I mean, it sounds like yeah. a lot of the same things they were saying about Breeze's injury, and he missed one game. Um, but I find it hard to believe he would have missed that game if it was a playoff. So, And he played really well the following week. So maybe he's all right. I don't know. I'm not. I haven't seen. Not like I'm comparing the X-rays. It's just hearing a lot of the same things I heard about Breeze's shoulder. Yeah. So I mean, I think this. I think they'll all be pretty competitive games, um, just because. Beyond the fact of, I mean, obviously these teams are good. They're in the second round of the playoffs. I think when you look at all the teams that are left, um, they either are are coming in off very solid defensive performances or they just have had really good defenses all season. I think probably on paper, looking at the Packers, you're not going to say, oh, they have a great defense, which I still I still have some concerns about their defense, but I think they, you know, in the second half of that game, they were very good against Kirk Cousins, you know, arguably the hottest quarterback in the NFL with all those weapons. Um, I just think that they don't, that the Packers don't have a great pass rush necessarily, um, but they have a lot of young cornerbacks who are good. Um, haha Clinton Dix is a, is a pretty good safety. Um, so I think with teams having good defenses like that, you can stay in games. And obviously we're, we're going to see, or we are seeing the cream rise to the top. Um, like we did last week where the teams with the really good quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, those are the teams that moved on the, I mean, not only, you know, great quarterbacks that are, you know, bound for the hall of fame, but a guy like Alex Smith, who certainly has a lot of limitations, but he's been in the playoffs before. He knows how to manage a game. Um, So it'll be really interesting because we have a lot of players, quarterbacks that have had fantastic seasons that are going to win awards, and we have a lot of good defensive players, Carolina, um, St. St. Louis, Seattle, that, you know, that's going to be a really physical uh, defensive-dominated game, I think. That's an interesting game. Yeah, I would say... I would say that the Steelers, depending on the injuries, probably have the best chance. I just don't know how much 
Peyton Manning has left, it's probably, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be cold. It's probably going to be kind of windy. Uh, but again, but the Broncos, I mean, like we saw in the, in the early part of the season, they have a team that can, you know, win with defense where there were yeah, times where Peyton Manning it. was throwing. <laughs> they can get after it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that all four road teams are going to win again. No. Um, no. So I'll kind of flip it back on you. I think the Chiefs probably have the, the, the lowest chance to actually win on the road, but really a lot of these are all three or maybe even all four of these divisional matchups are, are between two evenly matched teams. I mean, it's usually always the best week of the year, I think, because we get the four games and a lot of the teams that were in the playoffs but maybe weren't quite really playoff teams in the sense of competing for a Super Bowl mm-hmm. just yet. Like the Redskins are a good example of that, right? They're not ready to be a playoff team. Houston Texans too, yeah. Texans as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Texans may even a better example. Uh, and we got those kind of weeded out, and now we have really eight, maybe the eight, you could probably argue these are the eight best teams in the league, right? I mean, I, I yeah, totally. Yeah, I it, think so. I yeah. mean, I, I think the Bengals would would you know probably be in there too the Bengals, in the yeah. discussion. But mm-hmm. you can yeah. certainly make. There's not some fluky team, no. like you said. Like it's not like the Texans won and they're clearly a flawed team, but they you know got a lucky break in one. I think yeah that 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 in a lot of power rankings or just if people were ranking the teams going into the playoffs, that they would probably have these teams uh, one through eight or, or, or certainly all in the top ten. You know, I think the best thing that happened to Carolina was losing that game. Uh, I remember, you know, the Saints were 13-0 in 2009, and I remember it's probably around week five or so that it wasn't a normal game anymore. Every week it was this you you got the good example is we played Washington, who were four and nine going into the game, and they played so well in that game that if their kicker didn't miss like a like a twenty five twenty six, it was a really short field goal, um, and then Breeze hit Meacham to force overtime. The Saints would have lost that week. It was just the pressure of it just seemed to really really mount. It was a real thing. I, I watched it that year and I, I felt it. And losing to Dallas the way the Saints did that was huge for them. And I don't think they would have won the Super Bowl uh, without it. And I think if Carolina had won uh, that game that they lost, I might be picking Seattle. But I think that loss just kind of it grounds you a little bit. It humbles you a little bit. It refocuses you a little bit. And ultimately, it has you thinking about the Super Bowl instead of thinking about being undefeated. And I think that will be really big. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously – when a team is undefeated, the players, the coaches, the owner, the GM, they want their team to go undefeated. But I, I don't think, you know, for a second that that was really anything majorly negative for the Panthers. And I think you're right. It, it refocused them, but at the same time that it refocuses teams. And like, and, and, and I think your saints are a really good example of that 2009 saints team that it refocuses them, but then it also kind of loosens everybody up. And certainly the Panthers are not afraid to, you know, show off a little bit and show that they're having a really good time on the field, on the sidelines, after the game, before the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that game will probably be the most physical of all of, of, of the entire second round um, just because of those defenses. And, I mean, the linebackers in that game with, with Luke Keekley, with Thomas Davis, um, Bobby Wagner, even K.J. Wright has had a really good season. He's a really underrated linebacker. Those defensive lines are both really, really good, and you have two 
of probably at this point the best dual threat quarterback in the league that uh, Cam Newton and and Russell Wilson not only can really run as we've known since they were you know rookies, right. but they've all but they've become more refined pocket passers where it's not necessarily just first read and then if it's not their goal that they can scan the field. They've both gotten better with their accuracy, obviously. From November until the end of the season, Russell Wilson just went on a tear. He certainly, you know, played some secondaries that were not, you know, exactly the best in the league, but still to just throw so many touchdowns. They have such a high completion percentage with no interceptions was remarkable. And, and Cam Newton seemed like he was kind of getting carried by his defense earlier in the season, but he had a couple of games where his defense didn't play that well against the Giants being one of them. And the Saints, yeah. Against the Saints yep. being another Saints one, Giants, yeah. Yep. That where they really needed Cam Newton to step up. And, and he did. Previously in his career, yeah, that he, you know, he would be missing guys down the middle open, um, but this time he was, you know, on target, you know, with pinpoint accuracy that we haven't really seen on a consistent basis from him. So I think – the Panthers and the Seahawks are are, are t- two teams that are built very very similarly. Um, I think Marshawn Lynch could be an X factor. I think uh, Philly Brown and Ted Ginn could be an X factor too. Just with with you know even if the Panthers offense is struggling a little bit, all it all it takes is one one deep shot to Ted Ginn, and that can be a sixty seventy yard touchdown. So that game is probably Deion the one Sanders that I'm looking baby. forward to the most. Yeah, as long as it's not Deion Sanders, baby's got a chance to catch it. Uh, get it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think Roman Harper is huge for them too. I know he's a limited player at this point in his career, but I think he's got to be a great presence in that locker room, having been through this with that Saints team we mentioned. Um, and I've read a lot of different things about how he's been really great in that room. They're going to be a tough out because with the maturity that Newton has shown, the way he's played in the fourth quarter this year uh, over and over again, it's just going to be hard to – Man, it's going to be a game until there's zeros on the clock if you're Seattle. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to put them away easily. Um, and, you know, Newton always had those body language problems. He was kind of a front runner early in his career. When things were going well, he was going well. But as soon as something bad happened, his shoulders dropped, you know. Uh, a couple of years ago, Ty Ginn drops a 60-yard touchdown, and he wouldn't have handled it the way he has this year where he goes right back to the mm-hmm. guy. Where you know, So I've been really impressed – uh, with his maturity and his growth, and they're going to be a tough out. Although, so is Seattle. I mean, this is a team that with champions on it that's been to two Super Bowls in a row, and that's a really intriguing game. I, I wouldn't even know how to go about picking it. I guess I would just pick Carolina because they're home, but that will be a really fun one. Uh, Chris is on Twitter at Chris T R A P A S S O. You can find his work on the front page of NFL.com, and, of course, uh, Comeback Sports. We like that uh, quite a bit. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to uh, no, promote just, or plug? Or? No. Uh, yeah, I, I think also beyond the playoffs, uh, it's just, this is one of the most exciting times of the year, like I was mentioning earlier, just with the coaching search stuff and now with the college football season being over, that – a lot of focus is going to be turned, you know, to the combine and who's declaring. And uh, I just think, although there's not going to be football in about a month, it's it's still one of the more exciting times of the year. So I, I think fans will look forward to it, and I'm certainly looking forward to it as well. Well, thanks a lot for doing this, buddy. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we can do it again. All right, Steve. Thank you.
All right, I want to thank Chris Trapasso and, of course, SL Price for being on the podcast today. Season 6, Episode 1. Don't forget you can find episodes from Seasons 1 through 5 on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Like Sports. Also, if you'd like a copy of that silly book we talked about, you can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. We don't use it much, but we're there. Um, we may change a bit this year in terms of who is our host and how we use the website versus yeah, – sure. uh, we might get into SoundCloud. I've been kind of doing some research about that. This is boring stuff, but um, it's all stuff to look forward to in Season 6. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe what you would like to hear in season six from us, from guests. Uh, if you could book an episode of season six, the sportscasters, what would it be? And uh, we try everyone, really. I can't. Yeah, that's true. Can't think of a name you could say that I wouldn't try or haven't tried. Right, unless we've tried them and failed. Right, then I'm probably not going to try again. But maybe right. that name being out there says, yeah, maybe it is time to try again. Sure. There haven't been many of those. But we've you know, because what happens sometimes is you reach out to someone, they don't know who the fuck you are, they ignore you. Right. Then six months pass, and you had one of their buddies on, and they mentioned it, and they sure, liked it. Yeah. And then you reach out again, and suddenly they know who you are. And Christopher McDougall is an example of that happening. I would almost argue, and we've, had, we've made this point before, that we have more credibility among the guests, I would say, <laughs> than our fan base. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we have, uh, we're probably held in higher esteem by the guests than, than fan, than fan numbers would show. Which we don't even know the numbers. We are and we're fine with ignorant that. of yeah, the numbers. Yeah, we, we right? do that on purpose. But uh, yeah, I mean, the guests say nice things, and then it gets us other guests. So good. All right, Don. One last thing. All right, one last thing for me this week. It looks like Sabres fans and our buddy Mike Harrington are kind of back at it again. Yeah, and I have emailed Mike, and he will be with us soon. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Mike is a guy that I find myself disagreeing with a lot, maybe because I'm a little bit too much of a homer, a little bit too much of an apologist for the Sabres. Uh, and he and much of the staff at the Buffalo news are kind of the opposite. They are, uh, the rabble rousers for <laughs> lack of a better term. They like to stir the pot. Um, Mike sticks to his guns. It's he, I don't think he's going to come on here and say, yeah, I just say things to be controversial. No, last year when he was against the tank, we debated it hard for 35 minutes. Right, and he stood firm. And he was good. Yep. Fair. Uh, Let me make my points. I guess the latest battle is the Sabres had a little bit of a slump there, and he talked about how they weren't good enough. And Yeah, they're in 29th place. Right, which isn't very good, but they're entertaining. They score goals. Uh, you made the point off the air. The goalie they signed to be the goalie of the future has played two periods or something like that. Yeah, and they they finished – not to cut you off. I'm sorry. I feel no, like we're doing that a lot today. They finished 40 points out of the playoffs last year. Right. I mean, despite the fact that they're 29th, they've shaved 30 points of that deficit off. Right. I, I think there's maybe – And some veterans have let them down. Right. That's what I was going to say. Replaceable veterans. I think there's maybe yeah. more – I thought going from last year to this year that when you look at this team, one, it's good. 
there's going to be X number of players not on the team anymore. I think maybe that number at the end of this season is going to be higher than I would have thought it was. So there's guys like a Brian Giazza, like a David Legwand. I mean, Ma- I don't know. I don't Molson. know how, yeah, Matt Molson's a big – that's a great example. Ennis. Yeah, I, I bummed about that one the most because yeah. I, I like Ennis. But. If I, here's the thing. If I would have told you the Sabres are going to play this season and we're going to be really disappointed with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart, Ooh. we would have been crushed. Yep. If I would have told you we're going to play this season, be maybe even more excited about those two guys, but Molson and Ennis are going to suck a lot. Right. Yeah, it's a lot easier to, to take. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot it's, easier to take. Sam Reinhart, we've had this talk before too, but he's maybe the coolest player on the team. He was a second round or second, second overall, overall pick. Yeah. Uh, overshadowed. Way overshadowed by Jack Eichel. There's an article out there uh, in the Buffalo News real recently about how he know he he says he knows it. He feels it a little bit, whatever. But uh, he's got 12 goals this year. Like he's on pace for. Yeah, Jack has 13, I think. Right. Yeah. So it's real cool that Reinhardt is cool. I mean, he, he plays a different game, too. Like Eichel is flashy yeah. and fast, and Reinhardt's real cerebral out there he's just always in the right spot he's always around the net he always has a puck great hockey player yeah so i guess the point we're at again is i what are we mad about yeah right i mean if you're going to tell me that the sabers are going to be competitive and i know some guys don't love advanced stats but like all their coursey numbers are going to be a million times better than last year and they're going to be in the austin matthews sweepstakes at the end of the year like even if you don't get matthews in a non-tank Right. And, and by the way, if they get one of the three top picks, and based on what happened in World Juniors, the top three picks are going to be Matthews. Matthews and two Finns who won gold and dominated the tournament. Right. So if you can get one of those three guys, like... No, I'm not on board for that this year. I'm not on board for that. We're the, not trying for right, that. Right, right. But if that... If it happens, I'm fine with it. And and by the way, the top three picks are available now through a lottery. It's right. not just no, right. one exactly. anymore. Exactly. And I just can't get all upset that they're in 29th instead of 22nd. In Eichel's stats, anyone that expected him to go out and have 80 points this year. Um, his stats are great. Yeah, his stats are really good. He compares very favorably to uh, what's the – Larkin, any rookie. Well, the kid in uh, – not uh, Jesus, Stamkos. Okay. Stamkos Where he was had year about one. 40 points At 18. year one. Yeah. yeah, and then exploded in year two. I mean, Eichel looks every bit the part – I can't get mad about this. He's season. scoring big goals. He's moving the puck better. He's developing with Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, that's the other thing. The guy they made on maybe the power the play. Biggest one of the biggest trades in recent memory, anyway. Maybe in the team history, Evander, has been. Evander awesome. Kane and Bogosian haven't been great. Evander Kane maybe better than Bogosian. Bogosian's a guy you want a lot more from, but he's been hurt too. This doesn't have to be their best season on the team. Nope. I'm not like flipping out because. Tyler Myers and his three or four goals or whatever is doing, quote-unquote, great in Winnipeg. Sure. He wasn't going to do great here anymore. And I think there's something I like about Kane, even though he hasn't been as good as consistently as I hoped. He's I'm, always I'm okay the there still. He gets a lot of shots. I And he brings something else we don't have from forwards. He's a bigger guy. Right. You know, he bangs a bit. I'm just I, – and I think you're like this too – I just have no focus on where they are in the standings. I don't care. No, you know what's funny is because of when the Sabres have been bad, I don't know how the divisions work that well. Because <laughs> when they're good, you're staring at the standings after every game, after every win, after every loss. 
now uh, they realigned the divisions when the Sabres were terrible. And look at Florida. Okay, Florida is suddenly like nine points ahead of Montreal in yeah. first place. Right? They have four guys on their team right now. They picked in the top five. Yep. And I actually think all four of those guys are picked in the top three. Um, we're only two years into that. Right. And maybe you can say shave a year off because you got O'Reilly. And he's kind of like that kind of a the talent. The first of the – Right. Right, because he's still young. Even though he was a second-round pick. Right. He's actually the first second-round pick to like debut on opening night after his draft in years when it happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just I can't get upset about it. I don't know. I can't. Like, like we'll talk to Mike. We'll 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 uh, have him on and we'll see. Hope maybe Don will be here. Maybe I can see if Mike can do it when a time when Don's here too. We can gang up on him a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I just I don't have the the venom in me that I did last year. Or the year before last, I guess. It's just nice were. to watch him and be entertained. Last year, I watched him and was hoping for a bad result, and that's hard to do. But you're watching these kids like that are never you're never going to see again, and for most of them, you haven't. They've been in Rochester or whatever. And uh, like once, teams. once every two weeks, you get a game where Jack Eichel gets four points in Boston. You beat the Bruins, right? And it's one of the greatest nights you've had in years in hockey because you know that this 18 year old kid. And that's the thing Mike said all the time last year. No 18-year-old center is going to come in here and change things every overnight. Well, right. Sure. And now he hasn't changed things overnight, and Mike is all over Murray and the team and Pagula again. <laughs> yeah. So I would just like to let it play out a bit, and I think you Absolutely. seem to be on the same yep. page. All right. One last thing for me and the podcast. It was a nervous week for Saints fans, and it shouldn't have been hmm. uh, because – for some reason, word got out that Sean Payton didn't want to be the coach of the Saints anymore. And Doug Marone was in. And Doug Marone was <laughs> in, yeah. And as the word of Sean Payton not being the coach leaked, what also then leaked was that the Eagles wanted him to be the coach, the Giants wanted him to be the coach, the Dolphins wanted him to be the coach. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, every team who had an opening wanted Sean Payton, apparently, except for the Saints, who had John Payton under contract for two seasons. And clearly it was his fault this year the defense couldn't stop anybody. They sucked me in a little bit. Okay. Now initially, Sunday of the last game was kind of when this happened. I said, John Payton's gonna be the coach next year. Come on. Yeah, you said it on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. But just that doubt kind of creeped in, and I'll admit that when it got closer to three o'clock. Eastern time, 2 o'clock Central time on Wednesday last week when he made his announcement, there was a sigh of relief there. And the sigh of relief came because I still believe in Sean Payton and Drew Brees and the idea that they have another run or two in them. And I think the last three games, five games of the season, reinforced that to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked on the final show of the season about the perception people had of Drew Brees going into this year. Bust. And how he proved that to kind of be silly. Right. And Peyton made it very clear in his press conference, which was about 45 minutes long. He took every question. The owner watched. The GM watched. The president of the team watched. Kind of a sign of solidarity. Mm-hmm. Um. 
and he made two things very clear. One, he wanted to be the coach of the Saints, and as long as he's the coach of the Saints and Drew Brees can be the quarterback, he will be the quarterback. I know these are generally concise, so I apologize for asking you a question. No, I like that. Does the GM deserve to be back? Mickey Loomis. If anyone had a fall on a sword, that would have been my pick. Uh, but Mickey Loomis built a Super Bowl team in New Orleans. And Mickey Loomis is also a guy who's unfortunately, uh, because of some of the behind-the-scenes politics, has had to stretch himself into some Pelicans uh, responsibilities, uh, oh, which okay. hopefully are gone and will help them. Peyton admitted in his press conference they had a couple bad drafts. Yeah. And because of those bad drafts, they put themselves in a position where they didn't have enough talent on the field on defense. Yeah, and the guys that that's why I asked about Loomis, the guys that they brought in as kind of the hired guns really did nothing. But I mean maybe Rob Ryan just falls on that sword and you let a new guy see what he can do with those parts. Look at Brandon Brown who turned out to suck. He had won the last two Super Bowls. And he also the last play we seen Brandon Browner make before he was a Saint was making the play that resulted in Malcolm Butler intercepting the ball on the goal line. So Malcolm Butler only intercepts that ball because Brandon Bowner recognizes what the play is, looks over to Butler, and then jams the receiver who's trying to make the pick right. at the line so Butler can come under. So it's hard to know sometimes in the NFL when a guy's just going to apparently fall off the face of the earth like happened to Browner this year. And Jarris Bird with the Bills was nothing but a ball hawk. And here's the thing I'll say about Bird. His first season, he did nothing, then got injured. Right. This year, he didn't necessarily make a lot of plays, but he was he was stable. Yeah, he's good. He's he was good. a stable guy. I I have I still believe that could be a good signing. I think it, I I'd be surprised if it's not. And I've told you once, and I told you before, the second most important person on the Saints is Keenan Lewis, mm-hmm. and Keenan Lewis basically missed the whole season. Okay. So next year you have Keenan Lewis back. Delvin Bro is maybe the best free agent signing in the whole entire league last year. Plucked out of obscurity. Uh, you love advanced stats. Uh, Pro Football Talk or whoever grades Focus, I think Focus, whoever yeah, grades yeah. those things, he's in the top five all year for his coverage. Was maybe the like Keenan Lewis was a bright spot the previous season. Dalvin Bro is a bright spot this year. So next year you're looking at we have Dalvin Bro on one side, we have Keenan Lewis on the other side, we have Jarris Bird who's kind of settled in, and and Dennis Allen was using Bird a lot better than Rob Ryan was. Okay. Dennis Allen was also using Kenny Vaccaro a lot better who had a great end of the season. They still need depth at that position because Keenan Lewis and Dalvin Bro, those guys get hurt. Corners get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, corners get yeah, hurt a lot. Yeah. So I didn't want anyone to fall on the sword just yet. I kind of still believe in this. I know I'll probably be the last one off the bandwagon, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm afraid of a man.